Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Boise State would love to be in the Pac 12 Conference. It would. It has wanted that for years. The Broncos of Boise State with the Blue Field. They would love to be in the Pac 12. UNLV. San Diego State, Fresno State, probably all lined up right behind them or alongside them as potential candidates to get into the conference. Everybody jockeying for position. I've learned some things over the weekend. I'll share them on today's show. We'll talk to some people, including some people in Boise, who are interested in potentially being part of the Pac-12 conference. Mike Prater, the Idaho sports talk genius. Will be with us in the five o'clock hour. Bruce Barnum, Portland State's coach, is going to be with us here in this hour to talk about their upcoming game. College football starting this week. I'm excited about that. I'm fired up about it. We're going to get real games. Like you know, we had some games over the weekend, but now they're going to be real games, not in Ireland games. Poor Scott Frost probably lit a fire under his seat with that onside kick attempt, up 11 points. You don't do that, Scott. In the end, though, the Pac-12 games will begin this week. Important games for Utah, Oregon, Oregon State. Man, I think Oregon State's game is flying a little bit under the radar when it comes to the potential impact of a win or a loss. The Beavers have a big one on Saturday night at Reeser Stadium. And so I want to talk on today's show about Oregon and Georgia, and I want to talk about Boise State, Oregon State. In your mind as a listener... As a fan of one or both of those programs, as somebody who may or may not live in this region of the country but has a dog in the fight, which of those two games is more important to our region? Which, two, which, which one of those games is more significant or impactful when it comes to the ecosystem of college football in the state of Oregon? Because on one hand, you could argue that Oregon going to Atlanta to play against Georgia, the defending national champion, it's a huge game. It's going to have a big television audience. It's going to be kicked off on a major network, linear television. We all know that the uh, TV network is happy that they have the defending national champions and they put them against the Oregon brand and it's Dan Lanning. I mean, there's all kinds of storylines in this Oregon-Georgia game. But meanwhile, at Research Stadium later on Saturday, you're going to have an ESPN kickoff that is going to come late in the evening, while some of your kids are being tucked into bed, they will have massive impact, not just on the Oregon State season, but the Pac-12's reputation as it uh, comes to Mountain West opponents. Pac-12 didn't play well against the Mountain West Conference a year ago. Didn't play well against the likes of San Diego State and, uh, of course, BYU now headed into the Big 12 shortly, uh, dominated the Pac-12 Conference with a 5-0 and record, and, of course, Boise State has always been problematic. It beat Oregon three times, uh, has uh, made hay in bowl games against the Pac-12 opponents and others. 
and would desperately love to be part of the Pac-12 conference, which is the bigger game if we can only have one win. Because I think you could argue that Oregon could lose Saturday at Georgia, and we're going to call it at Georgia because the game is physically in Georgia. Oregon could lose that game and still walk off with a nice season, still walk off with a chance to win a conference championship, still walk off with a chance to be considered late in the year by the College Football Playoff Selection Committee if they end up sitting there as a one-loss or a two-loss Oregon team at the end of the season. But if Oregon State loses the opener to Boise State, it creates a narrative for the conference that might be problematic for the Pac-12 as a whole. We're talking about a conference that's trying to pull itself together. We're talking about a conference that wants to be one of the haves, not the have-nots. We're talking about a conference, frankly, that's negotiating currently with ESPN about its future and the amount of media rights money that it will garner in this cycle. A win by the Pac-12 team, even a team that is probably viewed, Oregon State's program, is probably viewed as a mid-tier Pac-12 team in this season. I would argue that I think Oregon State could be a top half of the Pac-12 team uh, based upon last season's bowl game, based upon the fact that they have so much coming back, their offensive line, the running backs, the fact that people are coming out of you know, spring practice and fall practices saying Oregon State is better on defense this year than they've ever been, bigger and better. Um, there's a possibility there that an Oregon State loss on opening night to Boise State is more detrimental than, uh, than uh, maybe an Oregon loss to uh, Georgia, even an embarrassing Oregon loss. Because I think the national narrative, if Oregon gets you know, steamrolled by Georgia, is going to be, hey, that is a really good SEC team. Kirby Smart's a great coach. This is a program that, frankly, uh, just coming off a national championship, like, you know, Oregon's just not there yet in year one uh, under Dan Lanning. But if Oregon State loses the game, I think the narrative starts to become about the Mountain West Conference being on par in the last five or seven or ten games with the Pac-12. And granted, some of those games are, are not coming against the likes of USC, UCLA, uh, Oregon, and others. They're coming against, you know, Arizona, Arizona State. They're coming against Washington State. BYU beat Washington State last year. San Diego State did beat Utah, pushed them around in the early part of the season. But I think you, you run a risk there that the narrative for the Pac-12 conference would be significantly damaged by a loss, even a home loss, a home loss to a very good Boise State team coached by Andy Avalos uh, from Boise. So I want your phone calls. Which of these two games is more important? 503-417-7575. I'm saying Oregon State against Boise State is oddly more important, even though it will, it will garner less interest from Pac-12 fans and from fans in the state of Oregon. You tell me what you think. We got Bruce Barnum coming up. Bruce Barnum wants to talk about, by the way, by the way, he wants to talk about his QB1. Why do we call it a QB1? When do we stop calling it a quarterback? We'll talk about his QB1 on the show and get his take on that. I know he's got some passionate thoughts about it, but Barnum's coming up. And later in the program, we'll go to Boise as Mike Prater, who writes a column for the Idaho newspaper and hosts a radio show there in Boise, will talk to us about how badly the Broncos want to be in the Pac-12 and what they are willing to do to get there. Are they willing to take less money? Because that is one clear way that I think Boise could pry their way into the Pac-12 conference. Steven, Sean, Judah, Peter, you tell me, biggest game in our region, what is the bigger game or more significant game? Is it Oregon-Georgia or is it Oregon State-Boise State? I think for the region, 
I think I, I'm going to disagree with you. I think it's the Oregon-Georgia game. And I just think it because there's more that can happen that is positive if Oregon is to even stay close, right? Like if it's a one-score game, I think Oregon's going to gain some respect nationally that they can compete with the top of the SEC. Where I think with Oregon State, I understand that it's going to hurt the Pac-12 in general. But, I mean, it's not a surprise. Like Boise State is still a good program. I think that they're known to be a solid program. Where I think the top of the Pac-12 is never respected enough to be a college football playoff type team. So I think if Oregon can keep it close, I think they're going to gain some national respect that, you know what, they can compete if they ever do make it to a college football playoff. 503-417-7575 is a number. Two different equations, really, because the calculus on that Oregon game is certainly that, you know, it would be a huge, it would be a monumental win. Like, just like Oregon going to Columbus and beating Ohio State a year ago, going to Georgia, beating Georgia, monumental win. I think you could even argue a bigger win than going to Ohio State, even though Ryan Day and the Buckeyes had not lost in that stadium. And so I, I think that you have, you know, a big upside for the Oregon, but when I look at Boise State, Oregon State, the narrative from last year was Pac-12 sucks, Pac-12 couldn't win bowl games, had a historically bad bowl season, had a historically bad non-conference season. It was just a dismal year all the way around. And I, when I look across the Pac-12 footprint in the opening weekend, it's Arizona against Northern Arizona. It's Colgate, Stanford. You know, the, there are some games that are stinkers. Uh, you know, Cal's playing UC Davis, ga- games that – the Pac-12 will win going away. And then there are some games that are some question marks. And the games that are question marks really for me are the Utah-Florida game, huge opportunity for the Pac-12. Georgia-Oregon, huge opportunity for the Pac-12. And Boise State-Oregon State, which I think is flying under the radar uh, quite a bit in this equation. Hey, Let's John, go to, yeah. I was going to ask you a question real quick. And I, I, had, I don't agree with this, but it seems like in college football, the Bulls are more important than actual regular season games. Do you think it's more important for the Pac-12 to win in the bowl games or a game like this where Oregon this. State to play Boise State? I'll take this because I think you can dismiss the bowl season as, hey, some guys opted out. Hey, weird things happen. You had two, three weeks off before the bowl game gets played. What, what happens in week one and week two and week three is we're going to get a measurement of how good is the Big 12? How good is the Pac-12? How good is the Big 10? How good is the ACC? How, how good is the Mountain West and the SEC? And, and that narrative is going to go on for months and months and months. The bowl season narrative, yeah, it happens around Christmas time, but it doesn't sort of perpetuate on college football game day throughout the season and perpetuate on radio talk shows and newspaper columns across the country for three or four months. So I think the impact of the non-conference schedule is far greater, easier to measure, some, some apples-to-apples comparisons, conference-to-conference. Conference. I, think, I think it would be big for Oregon State and the Pac-12 to win that game. Of course it would be big for Utah to go to Florida and win. That would be huge. It would be huge for Oregon to even play close to Georgia on Saturday. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Mark in Portland. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, how you doing? You know, I'm going the other direction here. Uh, <laughs> the In reality, in the fantasy world of college football, the, the, these games are the biggest thing ever. But in reality, Oregon State would rather beat every conference team than Boise State. Losing sure. to Boise State when the conference league starts means absolutely nothing if that, if that happens to happen. And for, you know, for Oregon... We saw last year they beat Ohio State. They still got to close the deal in conference, and they can only lose one game or less. So if they lose to Georgia, they're going to have to win every game in conference to get to the so-called, you know, invitational playoff. But I just want to say it's 
it's it shouldn't be about the first game, but that's the way they make it in college football. It should be like your your other guy said there. It should be about the end of the season. Let's say that Oregon State loses to Boise State, but they get better each and every yeah. game, and they play right. each other again at the end of the year. That'll be a lot more meaningful as, as far as I'm concerned to close yeah. the deal at the end of the year. I get what you're saying, and, and Mark, like, Ohio State's a great example of that. Remember, they lost in week two to, to Oregon, and then they, they sort of righted the ship after that and got to the end of the year playing really good football and beat Utah in the Rose Bowl. They felt pretty good about themselves. I'm just concerned, and tell me if I'm wrong here, I'm concerned about the Pac-12 sort of the narrative of this conference this season. I think it's really important that they get off to a good start to shut that shut the rest of the country up. I think they have to win. Uh, I think the Utah game with Florida is probably the biggest game. And I, I think I think what you're saying is correct. Oregon State's at home. I wish the Ducks were playing Boise State at home because, to me, them going to Georgia doesn't it, – even if they win, it really doesn't do them any good. For to me, as much as everybody thinks it does, mm. they still have to come back and dominate the Pac-12, and they could lose the wrong game in the Pac-12, like they did uh, with Stanford, lose one game and not make right. the playoffs yeah. if it's the wrong game, and it's they don't killer. get into the conference title. Yeah, so, yeah. I I think uh, Oregon playing tough at Georgia would would be good for them, and I think the we, the Beavers. They have to win at home against Boise State. I get what you're saying as far as the overall conference thing, but in reality, John, when the conference uh, games start, that the loss at Boise State will mean nothing. Yeah, in the big picture for Oregon State, he's right. If they lose to Boise State, it doesn't kill their season. But it sure, I think the upside for the conference is massive to sort of put to rest the narrative that the Pac-12 can't beat the Mountain West. It's on par with the Mountain West. This is the narrative, I think, that sucks down the perception of the conference. Eric's in Lake Oswego. Eric, go ahead. Hey, John. Yeah, I, I think that you know, I agree with you on, on the narrative that uh, uh, we want, the Pac-12 uh, has to show something to the rest of the country, but I think the best way to do it is if Oregon goes in, the whole context of college football has changed since last year. So in this context, I think that Oregon, if they beat Georgia, would certainly send ripples through the entire college football universe began, first of all, too, it would infuse Oregon with a tremendous amount of confidence. You just need to defend the national champion. It would show the rest of the country that uh, the Pac-12 has got something going for it. And yeah. furthermore, I don't think that the rest of the country really cares about Boise State and the Mountain West Conference and Oregon State. So whatever happens in that game would just simply be a regional issue and I don't think the rest of the country would care very much. That yeah. said, I do think that if Oregon beat Georgia, that would absolutely change everything and have a lot of people be considering their disrespect for the Pac-12. Well, the best-case scenario, Eric's a good point, best-case scenario is Utah goes to Florida and wins. Oregon finds a way to beat Georgia. Let's just say Georgia lost a lot. Like, I do think Oregon's going to cover the 17-and-a-half. But let's just say, screwy things, week one, Oregon wins. And Oregon State in the nightcap beats Boise State. George Klyovka throw a parade. Hell, he'd hold it in downtown San Francisco around the, the uh, money pit of a building down there. Well, John, what's more important? Is it to have a team that can be considered a college football playoff threat or the whole conference as a whole being elevated above, like, the Mountain West? Because I think that's the point for me is, like, if Oregon competes or wins against Georgia, they're considered 
immediately as a college football playoff contender where Oregon State wins, it's just, oh, the bottom of the Pac-12 is higher than what we think it is. Yeah, I got I to gotta splinter it apart because it, the Pac-12 simply having a playoff team isn't enough because if it's USC or UCLA, the narrative's going to be, hey, that's a Big Ten team. That's why they're going to the Big Ten. So it has to be somebody other than USC or UCLA even to have that discussion. But let's just assume it's Oregon in your, in your scenario. I think both things are important because in the short term, the Pac-12 is trying to negotiate this media rights deal. And, you know, this is a deal that is being talked about now, next week, uh, two weeks from now, a month from now. You know, it, this isn't going to drag on until after January 1 and we find out, like, you know, somebody's playing for the national championship. So I think part of the conversation that's very important to the Pac-12 is – them being able to say with a straight face, hey, look, our non-conference record against the Mountain West this year, you know, it wasn't, you know, one and seven. Uh, you know, BYU didn't beat five teams. Oregon beat BYU in week three. Oregon State beat Boise State in week one. Oregon State beat Fresno State in week two. And, and you know, have some of those wins to hold up as ESPN is saying, hey, uh, you know, how good is this conference? What is the narrative? So, I think it's important to get those wins, but I, but obviously it's important from a financial standpoint for the Pac-12 to have a team in the playoff. It would be a massive win for the Pac-12 to get to the playoff. Gary's in Tualatin. Gary, you get the last word. Yeah. Uh, uh, go Ducks. Hi, John. Uh, this is the biggest game we've ever had uh, for the Ducks. Uh, this is our national championship, and uh, I don't know how we're going to pull it out, but we are going to pull it out. Uh, you you have to win this game because there is no such thing as a quality loss. There there is such a thing as an ugly win, and the only way you get respect in the uh, in sports is by winning, not by losing. Good. You only there's only one way to get your respect, and the only way the Ducks will get their respect is by beating Georgia. Yeah, uh, Oregon can get to the Pac-12 championship game and even get to the playoff without beating Georgia. But I think uh, I think any win by the Pac-12 in Week One is monumental. But if you want me to rank what I think is more important to the Pac-12, it's probably Utah winning at Florida. That's number one. And then I got a debate at number two: Is it Oregon playing well against Georgia, or is it Oregon State beating Boise State? Uh, you know, decide amongst yourselves. Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, is coming up. He's got a season starting as well. We'll talk to him next. <laughs> You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. First spawn them in the Portland State football team. They got a season that's starting as well. I know a whole bunch of kids of the uh, BFT Foundation are interested in what Portland State is going to do this year. Uh, Portland State football opening their season. Where do you think? San Jose State. This game coming up Thursday. It is a 7.30 kickoff for you, and here's Bruce Barnum here to talk about it. John, thanks for having us. <laughs> I love that. You planned to you know the way to San Jose. I do know the way. I grew up near there, Spartan Stadium. You guys ready for this? Uh, uh, no question. I mean, uh, we better be. We have one more practice in the morning, shine it up, polish, um, and ready to go, you know, see where we're at. Where, like, when you get ready for a game or an opponent, do you have a feel of how much information to throw at your guys? How much is too much? What is overdoing it? Do you want to, you know, you, can you throw too much at them? Is I guess what I'm asking. 
You can, especially this year with us. John, we have a new quarterback, starting quarterback. It's easy. If your guy's in year two, you know, if he's in year three, you know, he's he's putting everything in. Um, with a new guy, you want to keep it simple. You want to, you know, uh, make sure he gets comfortable and you try to and, – and your goal is to slow the game down for him, I think. You know, uh, he's going to be all jacked up. They're going to be all jacked up, you know, excited. College football Saturday weren't zero week. Here we go. But need to get him uh, so he's just playing football, uh, not seeing the lights. I don't think that will take long, you know. But uh, you, always, you always worry about that or consider that. Coach, you said quarterback. You didn't say QB1. Um, you know, the new kids are all saying QB1. Why? Well, I, you know, somebody asked me that earlier, John. I, I got into saying it because last year is the first time I heard it. Um, you know, why don't you say LB1, you know, LB1, LB2, WR1. But I didn't understand it for about three weeks because our quarterback was number six, and they kept saying QB1, so in my mind it should have been QB6. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Whitland. You know, it's cool. It's uh, flashy. It's He's QB1, and, and I'm guessing – one of the big-time guys said it, you know. I, I, I don't know where it came from, but I'm guessing it came from Mahomes land or one of the, you know, Brady, somebody. When you look at San Jose State, you probably look at film from last season. They look pretty good uh, at different points. They had, they were a little up and down, though. What do you see when you see them on film? Um, they got a triangle. they got two defensive ends and a linebacker. They have a linebacker that... Uh, I had 133 tackles last year. John FBS, that's that's a lot of tackles. He was third overall for any school. Number 45, number 92s. You know they have two defensive ends. They're touting as you know everything, all American, all conference, etc. Uh, they just got two transfers uh, via the 7-Eleven portal. Uh, one from USC, one from UCLA. The USC one concerns me a little bit because I haven't seen him, but. I called my people at USC, and they actually wanted to keep him. Uh, that means he's probably pretty good. Uh, the UCLA guy they cut loose. So, you know, I, I don't know if those guys are going to play or where they're going, but they're a fast football team. Uh, they went portal on offense uh, with their quarterback. We actually faced him in Hawaii last year. He, he was Hawaii's quarterback. Um, last year he's starting for him. So, you know. Um, this game of all of them, uh, the personnel is a little bit of a question mark. We know who's coming back, but um, you're going to get to game day on uh, game one. There's going to be some new faces, especially because of the portal. Everybody always says, you know, we need to play our game. We don't need to adjust to their game. What would playing your game mean to you? Um, field, well, field position, you know, uh, I like to move the chains. Uh, when I'm 50, I'm talking offensively. When I'm 50-50 on offense, uh, we were usually pretty damn darn good, you know. Um, but uh, controlling the football game, via special teams, they have more turnovers than you. Uh, third downs are, you know, uh, happenstance. They're, they're easy, you know. When when you're getting those third downs, it gets very frustrating and just the momentum. You know how you do at the end of the first half. Uh, as far as scoring, do you, if you deferred, I think the teams, when I had my, some of my best teams, we scored in the first half, we got the ball in the second half, we scored again, 14-point swing, you know, and it's hard to come back from that um, if you're on the other side of the ball. Defense, Lee, I want them to punt every time they're on the field. So 
Um, that's our game. If it, if it's in, in in a perfect world, I guess. You're, the strength of this team. You've talked about the wide receivers. You've talked about you know you got a new QB. What is the strength of the team right now? How, what are you feeling great about? Leadership. Um, I have five captains um, uh, that were elected by their peers. I have a leadership council of 22 uh, total um, student athletes, guys in my team. Because you know we have a this is a unique place to play football. John, you know that. We've talked about that. We, we play two, quote, money games. I'm going to bring in just under a million this year. Next year it will be a little over a million. But we're going to bring in some money for the rest of the department. And if you're in Vegas looking at the tote board, um, well, we don't have a shot this month. But, you know, we just make sure we don't lose those games before we get there. It's college football Saturday. You never know what's going to happen. But um, and I forgot your damn question. So, what you're feeling good about? Like, I, as a coach, you're probably waking up at two thirty in the morning thinking about whatever. But always wonder, you know, coaches, what is it you're not thinking about? You must be feeling okay about. Yeah, I mean, right now uh, I'm swamped with travel. I'm swamped with travels and fires, and you know, because we're going to take care. We have one Americana tour. Um, but that's kind of taking my time in between the San Jose, you know, because it's a unique time for them as well, I have every game on them. So you're watching a lot of video and you're saying, well, you know, this was a year ago, this was game one. You're weeding through that. Who runs what we run? That part's fun. You know, that's a football side. That's why everybody does it. You know, the other side, I'm trying to put together an Americana tour. It's just keeping us busy. We're going to uh, – we take off tomorrow night, actually, the night uh, a little early. The night are you flying before. or are you driving? Tomorrow we're commercial. We found some flights. Uh, into San Jose, uh, get them there tonight or tomorrow night, put them in bed, you know, all the feeding, et cetera, and get them up in the morning. We're going to uh, put them on a boat, uh, take them to Alcatraz, do the tour. Uh, then we'll be from there. I'm going to give them some per diem. Uh, I have them Pier 39, you know, little Bodine, sourdough, look at the seals, all that stuff, or the sea lions, and then straight to the stadium. You know, that's all the Americana tour you get this year. Um, but it's a first game. I have time for it, so we'll do that, and then we'll lock them in after that once we get to the stadium and uh, have a season. Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, is with us. What's a successful season for you guys this year? Um, successful season. Um, I, I want to win seven, John. That gets you. That'll probably have us in the playoffs. Uh, because of a scheduling snafu that still pit, uh, ma- makes me mad, um, I'm losing. I lost an FCS team, uh, so we'll, cut, we'll we'll find a way uh, to get that. But we need to win seven, try to get the playoffs. You know, uh, winning record for this crew, but I want to be in the playoffs. And You're... it's a hell of a hell of a road, but we can do it. Yeah, that and that would be hit. What would that mean to you guys? Get into the playoffs. You know, amid, you know, new athletic director, some studies on the athletic department, everybody kind of whispering about football. That for you guys to perform on the field amid all that would be amazing. It'd be, it'll, it's going to be cool, John. And, you know, I've got noise. This, I do know this job brings more noise than probably I ever could imagine, you know, even in the 15 season. 
Uh, when we were second round of the playoffs and all the awards and all the hoopla, I mean, I, I had more noise and, you know, people thinking Barnum's a, uh, doesn't know what he's doing that year more than any would surprise me. But um, that would be cool, you know. It would be cool. I think Portland needs that right now. Just if you look at this city and where we're at, and I understand you've got Ducksby's and other universities around it, but we're in the heart of it. And I think it would be cool for the city, you know, revive this place, get them going. Bruce Barnum, Portland State coach, is with us. Uh, all right, so, you know, we've talked before about, you know, these are payday games, but you don't go in with that mentality. You go in wanting to take the check and get a W. Um, how are your guys feeling? Uh, I know I've been around a few of them. They were talking confidently about the game, and I know that, um, you know, they're probably excited to, to play another opponent. They are. You know, any camp, John, it gets muddy at the end. It used to be easy. This might be talking too much just about you know how you try to develop the heart of your camp but it used to be easy to wear your guys out because you could practice two times three times a day and get them to a point where they're ready they're ready for another opponent they're ready to break out you know we got to that right at the end of the camp everybody starts getting a little edgy you know um tired uh now we're getting their legs back uh, so uh, excited that we got them to that point. Now excited we're getting them back. And, and I, I have a team that's um, I expect to play with poise, confidence, and um, I want them to be a, a tough-ass operation. You know, that's how that's how we will win football games. Coach, uh, I wish you the best. We're going to have you on every week, uh, but every week I'm going to ask you one thing that you do maybe with your team that the rest of us can learn from is sure. there something you've learned over the years about sleep diet exercise hydration that the rest of us can use in our regular lives or maybe you use it as well that you've learned it and you've gone hey you know what that's not a bad idea for regular folks to know well this one we could go anywhere with i'll start i was, I was at cornell university in ivy league and they had this guy that was on like good morning american stuff he was like a sleep doctor you know, and he talked about um, young uh, people in today's society and how they stay up all night uh, and they need sleep in the morning. So instead of, you know, going early at the crack of dawn, we moved our practices. We were practicing, you know, let them sleep in. And um, it, it, it had mixed mixed ratings with me, um, but uh, everybody's always telling you to sleep. That's one. Um, number two, fish oil. Uh, we're giving our guys fish oil. I don't know if people care about this. Everybody yeah, I do. Right? I, I just sat up in my chair. Fish oil. Go, go on. Well, you know, we I bought we, we have fish oil. I'm saying, oh, it'll help the joints, Barnum. It'll help this, you know. And I'm like, all right, but I said, buy a month's worth. Don't buy, you know, a year. So we're giving them fish oil. And then the guy comes up and says, hey, Barnum, you know, you, you, here, I recommend this for you. So I start taking this stuff. Now we're talking normal people, right? Um, uh, but I start. <laughs> I just went off of John because it, it seemed like, uh, um, how do you say this properly on your radio show? Um, it seemed like my body became a slip and slide. I don't know. If, and that could be totally off and just me, but I'm not sold on the fish oil. My players seem to be enjoying it, but, again, for the normal person, be careful yeah. with that one. It's supposed to be good for your heart, good for your brain. Yeah. But you're saying you felt like a sea lion when you had that stuff on, uh, didn't you? Let's move to the next one. That, right. It just didn't fit my makeup, <laughs> you know. So, 
I like that you advised your people to only buy like a short-term supply. That's did you learn that from buying those cold tubs that you bought, you know, last <laughs> summer, or what happened? You know, I bought those four years ago. They're getting more use now. You know, we're, we've been in them. The only thing I'm upset, you know, the only thing I really need to fix is I like to walk by them. They're full of ice. A lot of days are just full of water. We've had some hot days, uh, but the kids are loving them. You know, I took some pictures in them because I was going to, you know, twit them out. But I'm like, nah, these pictures might be a, uh, they're a little too much. Because guys get them and they enjoy themselves. You know, yeah. they're not skinny dipping, but they're, I'm like, yeah. nah, this one's not made for yeah. G-rated. But not they're so- here. We're using them. Uh, again, if you and the family want some, I'd love I'll deliver one. And you, you know, can do anything funny. with it. Make, make a koi pond. Anything you want. <laughs> You know, what's funny is I've been seeing those things all over the place since you mentioned them. Now I notice them. People are planting plants in them. People yeah. have, you put fish in them. I've seen bamboo planted in them. I think every time now I look up, there's one of these damn things, and I blame you. They were probably there all along, but now I notice them. Well, now I'll get you again. That's the red brick thing. You know, some guy, another guy, Cornell's, or everybody knows this one. If you say something, you focus on. Now you're going to see it everywhere. So your next thing until next week is red bricks. Now you're going to see red bricks everywhere, John. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Hey, go. Good luck to you. Go beat San Jose State. Thank you. Thanks for having the bikes on. All right. There's Bruce Barnum, Portland State coach. The red brick theory. I have a theory on that too. Uh, it's the weirdest thing. Uh, every time I look at the clock, or more often than not, I feel like the time on the clock is 9:14. 9:14 a.m. is the red brick or p.m. I notice it all the time. Now, somebody told me, you know what, that's just because you have noticed it once. Now, every time it's 914, you know, you don't notice when it's 227. You don't notice when it's 338. You only notice when it's 914. But it's true. You call your attention to something, and then all of a sudden, there it is. There it is. There it is. More of your phone calls coming up. Biggest game of the college football weekend in your household. What is it? 503-417-7575. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. It's good stuff from Bruce Barnum. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? He said the red brick theory. I do know exactly what he's talking about. Um, I have the same one, so. For a while, I was noticing that Adam Sandler movies were always on on the weekend. And now every time I see like one that's on the TV, I'm like, oh, it's the weekend. Adam Sandler movie's on. Like, every, Check it out. Every time it's a weekend, there will always be an Adam Sandler t- movie on TV at some point. Yeah, and there's lots of other movies on. It's just that once you noticed it, you couldn't stop noticing it. Yeah, and every time I see it, I like point it out to my wife, and she probably gets really annoyed with me. Yeah, and she's like, hey, the Harry Met Sally's on too, but that doesn't count. But you just glossed past that, and you see... I saw you know, 50 First Dates. Yeah. There you go. Uh, for me, it was 9.14. I noticed it on the clock, and then I noticed it another time. I said, why is it always 9.14 when I look up? And then forevermore, for years, I'm like, damn, how often is 9.14 showing up on my clock? Well, it turns out it's twice a day, like every other number. But I just happened to register it because I'm cognizant of it. Are, and, you, are you a schedule guy, too? That could be it also for a time. Mm, no, but that was the time of day I was born, mm. and so I noticed it. And then forever, I noticed it on my birth certificate. And then forevermore, when it was 914, I was like, damn, there it is again. 
There it's it like, is again. It's the anniversary of you being bored. Yeah, every day. So there it is. <laughs> I'm having it. Let's go to the phone lines. Mike's in Portland. Every time I look up, Mike and Mike and Portland's called in. What's up, Mike? Hey, John. Just a general observation without being overly hyped. I think this season is huge, not just for Oregon, but for the entire Pac-10, Pac-12, I'm sorry. I mean, as a branding, as a sales uh, fan base, ratings, that kind of deal. I think every game, we're trying to, whether it's the Big, big 12 or Big 10, I think this entire season is going to be one of the top three or five seasons in the entire history of the Pac-12 based on what's what's going on with branding and the uh, and the alignment. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, look, I wrote about it today. If you if you subscribe at johnconzano.com, I won't go into great detail with what I wrote, but I laid it out today. I have heard and you have heard in the last couple of weeks about the Big 10 conference wanting to snatch up four more teams. And I don't blame the national media members who are spinning that narrative. Their sources are telling them that. I talked to some people over the weekend who again affirmed to me there's back-channeling going on. So I started to f- try to figure out how pervasive is the back-channeling. Who, who's doing it? And it turns out Boise State's back-channeling, UNLV's back-channeling, San Diego State's back-channeling, Fresno State's back-channeling, Oregon's back-channeling, Washington's back-channeling, Stanford's back-channeling, Cal's back Nobody, you know, I should just give you a list of who's not back-channeling. Everybody's doing that stuff, and everybody's, consulting with the consultants and by the way one of the pac-12 teams one of the major remaining pac-12 teams is paying a consulting firm thirty-five thousand dollars a month Uh, i will soon be able to tell you who it is i want the document in my hand before i say who it is because when they go no we're not i want to be able to go yeah uh but thirty-five thousand dollars a month they're paying these consulting firms to to do their work now The consultants, I'm told there's good consultants and bad consultants, but the consultant's job is to kind of tell them, hey, here's the questions you need to ask, here's the answers of those questions, and oh, by the way, here's where it makes sense or doesn't make sense for you to go to the Pac-12 or the Big 12, or if you're a Pac-12 member, to go to the Big 10. So everybody's doing that stuff, and I think it's really difficult to to figure out who it is you should trust, But but what I have taken away from all of that is that there is no imminent path for Oregon or Washington to the Big Ten. And the prevailing theory that ESPN would want to add four Pac-12 schools to the Big Ten West, so to speak, and combine them with USC and UCLA, it doesn't work. It doesn't pencil out. And I checked it with TV consultants and even Bob Thompson, the former president of Fox Sports Network, and I said, okay, does this work for ESPN? If the Big Ten, which made no deal with ESPN, happens to carve out, you know, these four teams and create this tier of programming that never existed before, does it work? And he pointed out, like, ESPN would still probably have to share those games with Fox, NBC, and CBS, who have a pecking order when it comes to selecting the games they want that week. Now, why would ESPN want to do that? They could have those games on their own if they just buy the Pac-12 conference. So, uh, you know, he kind of shot that down. And then further and beyond that, I started looking at, you know, what uh, does it make sense for Oregon to go to the Big Ten? 
And it turns out it doesn't really pencil out for Oregon unless the Big Ten really wants to subsidize the Ducks. There may be a whole bunch more money available to Oregon and Washington if they just sit tight in the Pac-12, and I think that's what they're waiting to hear. I asked Oregon AD Rob Mullins to do a Q&A. I included some questions in there specifically about where Oregon sees itself and where it's positioned. Uh, Mullins, through a spokesperson, turned down the opportunity to do the Q&A. I think Oregon still very much wants to see what its options are. I think that's what I'm reading out of that. Uh, But I think, yes, to the caller's point, this is a huge college football season. It is a massive season for the Pac-12 conference. They, They have some work to do when it comes to the narrative of this conference. Nobody thinks they're any good. Go down the field and prove that you are. Let's go to Roy, who's in Portland. Roy, welcome. Hey, John. Oh, hey, John, are you guys ready to get your beaten? <laughs> you ready for that? What are you going to do? Oh, what are you going to do, Roy? Here, here's one for you. I normally agree with you, but you're going to bring that to me. What are you going to do, Roy, when it's the fourth quarter and it's a one-score game and Oregon's got the ball? You going to be nervous? No, I'm not going to be nervous, but, you know, I, I mean, I can see that. <laughs> I, can see, I, I, I can see it going. I, I, I can see it only winning by a touchdown or even only winning by a field goal. But, you know, that's what – that's what makes the first game so. Uh, that's what makes you nervous on the first game. Yes. You really don't know because you know everybody's going from last year, but it's a totally different Georgia team. So we don't we don't know what's going on. Hey, where so, uh, where is the biggest worry right now for Georgia fans? What position group? I'm gonna tell you. For me, it's Stetson Bennett. I don't care what he did last year. I mean, yeah, last year you you had a good season. That's because you had a. A, a great once in a lifetime defense, but I'm not sold on him. I'm not. I'm, I'm not sold on Stetson Bennett. I'm just not. Uh, uh, you know, you got we got lucky last year at the quarterback position, but I'm still not. I'm still not sold on him as a, as the quarterback. With you know, all things if if you plan and all things are equal on the team, I, I don't. I'm not counting on him to win the game for you. So. Uh, yeah, that's why. That's what I'm worried about. I but think I, uh, I think it's going to be a good game, and I'm, I agree with you on week one. It's it's a squirrely week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but I expect Georgia to win. I also expect Florida to upset Utah. No, that's, that Utah's going to beat them. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't that's, know. That's I don't a, know. Everybody that's a mediocre Florida. Florida team, new coaching staff against the legacy of Kyle Whittingham. I like Utah in that game. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Okay. Let's talk let's talk Monday about it. All right. Hey, hey, by the way, this week we got big Georgia guests coming on. We uh we not only will uh get down into Georgia territory, Chip Towers coming on the Atlanta paper and uh we're going to get Dan Lanning on the show. We got Jonathan Smith coming on the show later this week. Verone McKinley coming on the show. Efforting Marcus Mariota. We got a big week of guests. Leave it here. Our big splash is next. to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All is right in the world except Nebraska football. Nebraska football oh, and Scott Frost in real trouble. You guys think he's uh, 
his, you know, you know, what was he thinking? Up 11 onside kick, Northwestern, he loses the game. What was Scott Frost thinking? I don't know that he was thinking because he finally had momentum, right? Like they made the big plays. Casey Thompson's making the plays down the field. And they lost all that momentum with that one play. And it just, it, it just kind of like the, it just sums up Scott Frost's uh, tenure at Nebraska to me. Like they had momentum and then they ended up losing it and they lose by a one score game. Couldn't get himself fired. Uh, by the way, you said there were 11 games you wanted to bet over the weekend. How did you feel about the Nebraska Northwestern game? Uh, so I, I, some of the lines changed from when I was here. So I only bet seven of them. But I did bet Northwestern plus 11 and a half. I was two and three uh, on Saturday. I still got a couple games left over this week to hopefully get over 500. There you go. Get after it. We, we're really relying on Temple football lately. Yeah. That's, that's that, the big one on Friday. That's where you are? That's yeah. that's where you are? That's the state of the union. Temple plus the points against Duke. It seems like a lock. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right. That brings us to our big splash. It's one thing you need to know. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers, we all thought they would part ways this offseason. Didn't happen. It now turns out that Garoppolo and the Niners are going to marry themselves to each other, at least for one more season. Adam Schefter of ESPN reporting this morning that Garoppolo and the Niners have agreed to a restructured one-year contract worth $6.5 million fully guaranteed. It includes a no-trade, no-tag clause. It ensures that Garoppolo will back up Trey Lance and then be able to explore unrestricted free agency at the end of the year. It's a win-win. It's a very professional deal, and anybody who saw the Niners play their preseason game last week knows nothing's certain. Trey Lance running for his life with that 49ers offensive line. Jimmy Garoppolo will stay in San Francisco. It'll give the Niners some flexibility and some salary cap relief, but uh, it'll also set Garoppolo free at the end of the season. All right, coming up, uh, we got punch and audio and much more. In the 5 o'clock hour, we're going back to Boise, Idaho, to talk about the Broncos. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I don't know what you did over the weekend. Uh, I ended up at uh, I ended up at Oaks Park on Sunday afternoon. Kids clinging to summer, last days of summer. School starting officially uh, in the state of Oregon for a lot of kids uh, this week coming up tomorrow, in fact, in our household. But uh, kids in California, they went back a couple weeks ago, other states. Why do you think, why do you guys, what's your theory on why we start school so late in the state of Oregon? You got a theory on that? I, I don't. I probably should know because my wife is a teacher, uh, but I really have no idea why they do that. I asked some people who might be in the know in our state capital. Is there some history to this? Is there some reason for this? And they said, well, for one, in this state, it's hard to get people to change. Hard to get people to adjust to new ideas. They've talked about year-round school or pushing the school calendar forward or whatnot, and people don't want to do it. Parents out there shaking their heads. No, 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 don't mess with our summer vacation, whatnot. But uh, we start later. I, my my prevail, The prevailing theory that I've always had is that 
our springs are wet, right? It rains here. It's, you know, weather's bad in like February and in March sometimes in April and even in May and early June, we sometimes get some rain. And I've always wondered if the reason why we start later is because we have better weather in the late part of summer and we uh, we are okay enjoying more of that as families. Is Does that hold up? I always I always wished as a student that we started late August and ended late May. It always feels like May, by the time it's the end of May, that's when it feels like the weather starts to get really nice. That's when you don't want to be in a classroom anymore. Yeah. I always felt like by the end of August, I was kind of over summer, and uh, like it just kind of felt like you know school was coming up, and I wanted to just kind of get in the classroom right away. So, yeah, I, and, you know, my mom's a teacher in Arizona. They start early August, and... It's like a hundred. It's a microwave in in Arizona in August, so it's a strange deal. I, I if anybody's got that answer, I'd love to hear from you. If you have the definitive answer, I don't want your theory. If you have the definitive answer, give it to me. Bill Walton was asked about UCLA leaving for the Big Ten. Aaron Rodgers was asked whether or not he played games on Percocet, and San Diego State's athletic director not happy with media in San Diego. All of it part of Punch It Audio. Let's play. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Boise State Head Coach Andy Avalos, formerly the D Coordinator at the University of Oregon. He will be traveling to Corvallis on Saturday night. Boise State playing against Oregon State. Two and a half point, three point favorite Oregon State at home. Andy Avalos talking about Jonathan Smith and Oregon State. Punch it. Yeah, I mean, I obviously have the utmost respect for uh, Jonathan. Um, he's done, again, like I said, he's done an unbelievable job um, building the program there and uh, um, the way they play. The, the way they operate, obviously he is, uh, you know, from an offensive standpoint, he has an unbelievable offensive mind, and, and because of that, you can see the production, you know, that their offense has had uh, here in the last, uh, you know, as long as he's been there, it's it's always a challenging offense to go, go against. Avalos knows that, he faced it. Jonathan Smith is creative. I think what he really lacks on the offensive side of the ball, though, is a game-breaking receiver. Needs to find somebody. I keep hearing Anthony Gold might be that guy. But didn't see enough of him last year to know that he is the kind of guy that can really hurt a defense if they start to cheat up and take away the intermediate routes and force Chance Nolan to throw the ball down the field. And that's that's the game plan. If you're on the defensive side of the ball, you uh, load up, you try to stop Oregon State's run game, and you tell your defensive backs, hey, they don't have the athletes to hurt us down the field. We can play man-to-man. And that's where Oregon State needs to hurt Boise State on Saturday night. Down the field. Kirby Smart at Georgia. Talking about Oregon. By the way, Oregon not naming a starting quarterback. Kirby Smart says he's unfazed by that. What does he mean? Punch it. That, that really doesn't impact anything for us. I mean, I, I know who the quarterback's going to be, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. Uh, I'm worried a lot more about how our guys play and what our guys do and how our guys execute. You know, you, you guys use that to write about and talk about, but, I mean, let's be honest, regardless of which quarterback's in there, 
they're going to do what they do. And maybe he does one thing better than the other guy does. And, you know, at the end of the day, they may play both of them. But it's never about the prep preparation for one specific quarterback as much as it is the preparation of your team to go play well. Correct me if I'm wrong, fellas. Did you hear Kirby Smart say he knows who the quarterback's going to be? Yeah. Is that right? I think he's just, you know, he's just predicting it's going to be Bo Nix. It's got to be Bo Nix. But I don't blame Jan Lanning for not playing that game. I've always wondered why coaches were uh, so willing to go public with that. Do you think it really matters, though? Because no. I don't. I don't, no. I don't think it matters. <laughs> I don't think it does. <laughs> and we often will see, like, a team will start a guy, and then he gets hurt in the first series, another guy comes in, you know, doesn't change your defense. Then, you know, it may change the call, but it doesn't change your base defense. Why doesn't anyone ever, like, fake the other team out? Like, if Oregon said, oh, Bo Nix is starting, but then Ty Thompson trots on the field. Like, if we're really playing chess like this, I'm surprised no one's ever tried that. Probably don't, they don't want the grief or the blowback that comes with kind of being jerky about it because they're all too busy saying how much they respect each other. Like, Andy Avalos respects Jonathan Smith. And Jonathan Smith, what does he think of Andy Avalos? Here's Jonathan Smith. We start with a real challenge. I got a bunch of respect for the program at Boise State. Spent two years there. Um, know the tradition and history and the effort that they play with. They got a big-time quarterback. There's got a bunch of experience. These guys can score points in bunches. Uh, defensively, one of the best defenses uh, year in and year out. Don't coach Avalos well. Coached with him for a year, and those those He's always run a really good defense, especially his time at, at Oregon and then taking over at Boise State. So we got a bunch of respect for them, know that they're going to present a big-time challenge. And I think it's good. You look at the, our non-conference slate, I think it's going to get us ready for Pac-12 play because they're three big-time opponents starting with, starting with Boise State. Yeah, Boise State, Fresno State in the first two weeks for Jonathan Smith's program. It's kind of like Pac-12 light or Pac-12 wannabe you know, two weeks in a row. I think it's a really important game for Oregon State. Now, it's not going to be recognized nationally with that profile, but that's going to be a good football game. I'm excited to see that game on Saturday night. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Did he play on Percocet? Did he play on painkillers? Here's Aaron Rodgers. Punch it. Did yeah. they make sure you weren't playing on that stuff? No, you played, definitely. Yeah. <sighs> wow. And what, did you ever play on it? Yeah. What did you play on? Percocet. Aaron Rodgers. Talk, I mean, I, I think I'd be surprised if NFL players, quarterbacks, weren't playing more on painkillers. You ask these QBs and you ask players who played for a long time what it feels like, what they feel like getting out of bed game week on, like, Tuesday, Wednesday, how difficult that is. I do think there's some cases of some guys who probably uh, – have played frequently on painkillers. I think it's more acceptable now to talk about it. Yeah, not only that, but I think, you know, you're going to see more and more guys play on uh, the influence of marijuana, too, because I think there's a lot of effects that those guys have talked about and, you know, just pain relief and, you know, maybe kind of being numb to pain. I think, you know, there's going to be more and more players playing on the influence of uh, cannabis. I had an NBA GM tell me several years ago that he did not think marijuana was a issue in the league. Because he felt like guys were using it to recover. But he said alcohol was a big issue at the time. And maybe it, maybe they've done some things. But this was sort of Darius Miles' Zach Randolph heyday in Portland. And the GM was telling me, uh, you know, this, this is an issue. Alcohol in the league. Guys using alcohol to sort of medicate and 
fall asleep on the road and do whatnot. And and I I think there's some probably some truth in that. Bill Walton was asked about UCLA to the Big Ten. I've asked Walton to come on the show and talk about it. He says he's not ready to talk. Okay, I reached out to him. He said, John, I'm not ready to talk. And he said some other flowery things. And then Bill Walton was asked by a reporter about UCLA's departure to the Big Ten. He just smiled at the reporter and said, I love UCLA. Here's the exchange. Punch it. What about UCLA's move to the Big Ten? I love UCLA. <laughs> that big Bill Walton grin at the end at the end of that exchange. What else is he going to say right now? He's not happy about it. Yeah, he's a traditionalist. He's a loyalist. But I think Bill Walton's trying to figure out where the dust is going to settle, what he should say. Tough position for him to be in. I wish he were more outspoken about it, though. I think it would be important for alumni who are disappointed to say, I'm disappointed with it. I'm a traditionalist. I played in, you know, the Conference of Champions, as he said. San Diego State Athletic Director J.D. Wicker in some hot water. Matareza, the former Buffalo Bill, since released by the team, has been accused, along with several other San Diego State football players, of a gang rape of a 17-year-old girl. San Diego State under fire. What did they do? What did they know? Here's the athletic director, J.D. Wicker, in an exchange with a reporter today. Punch it. We're here right now to talk about... uh this time we'll take questions related to the game this weekend and the opening of Snapdragon Stadium. Again, we're, we're here right now to talk about, uh, again, uh, we're here to talk about the Arizona football game and the opening of Snapdragon Stadium. Again, we'll take questions related to the game this weekend. If there are none, then we can end the press conference. All right, guys, we appreciate the time. Thank you all. San Diego State hurting itself. It's not a good look. You have legit questions that you should be answering, even if your answers are, hey, here's what we have to say legally. This is a very disappointing situation. Is the athletic director at San Diego State not disappointed with this being the story? I don't think anybody wants to talk about Snapdragon Stadium. Doesn't it seem like it would be so easy to just be like, you know, this is an ongoing investigation, like we can't talk about it. You know, like you just said, like it seems like it was yeah. such an easy response he could have given. And yeah. he, instead of that, he made news out of it by saying, we're not talking about anything else but football. Yeah, let's play this game. Let's play the game. Let's, Steven, you're going to go first. Okay. I'm going to be the reporter. You're going to be the athletic director, okay? Okay. You can't say anything specifically about the investigation, okay? You know that. But that's, that's the directive your university's given you. Don't say anything. You're legal counsel. Right? We don't want you to answer any questions. Okay. All right. All right. Steven. Yes. Um, recent news reports, a uh, lot of fans disappointed with San Diego State right now in uh, a news story that is tainting this college football season. Um, how are you feeling about the narrative for this season, starting with questions about a gang rape and a 17-year-old girl and football players at your university? Yeah, we're very aware of what uh, about the ongoing investigation that has happened. 
uh, of a former player here and some uh, former, you know, I don't know if those two guys are still current, but we'll say former players that were here at San Diego State last season, and we are going to uh, go through all the investigation and figure out what actually happened. And for at that point, we will go forward with, uh, you know, punishments or nothing. Okay, now, now fire one at me. Same question or whatever. Uh, whatever yeah. you want yeah, uh, so uh, now Mr. I'm the AD, Mr. Kinzano, uh, yeah. as athletic director of San Diego State. Uh, what are you going to do? What is happening about this investigation of a gang rape from your former punt god, uh, Matt Ariza, now that he's been in the NFL? Well, I first want to say that the safety and the well-being of our students in our community are paramount to San Diego State University. We will do everything in our power to make sure that our football players and our representatives that wear San Diego State on their uniforms conduct themselves appropriately on the field and off the field. We have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to violent crimes. We're concerned about this, we're disappointed about this, and we take this seriously. Our legal counsel has told us we are not uh, able to answer specifics on this issue. But I can tell you, as a community, we are on high alert and we're alarmed with this story. That's how hard is that? Yeah, you were good. That, this is the way it goes, though. I mean, everything you just said, John, that's going to be that's going to come out in a statement soon, or that's going to be a press conference that's initiated when they're ready. And I guess they're not ready yet. And they're also they don't they want it to be on the reporters' though. terms. Yeah, they have five months. They're not ready. Yeah, what did they expect for this press conference that it wasn't going to be asked? You want to ask about Snapdragon Stadium? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I think know? exactly. All I'm saying is that I, I think exactly what you just said will be said soon, but I think it's going to be without reporters grilling them. And, and I but think they that's look terrible. It, they I look agree. terrible. I agree. Like, it's it's just they look like I get what you're saying, but they look terrible. They look small time. That and you know what? I wonder how that you guys think this affects how the Pac-12 views them. I do. Yeah, I do. Because uh, we saw the down, you know, the backlash to Penn State. Obviously, like that was a really big deal when it happened. And you don't want anything to bat, you know, I think the Pac-12, a lot of times they consider themselves to be on a higher scale than other conferences where it's not all about sports. They try to take everything else seriously. So I think if this kind of thing comes out that it was true and and the school somehow covered it up or anything like that, like, I think it really would affect them. It's alarming to me how bad some of these administrators can be on their feet. I mean, their consultants weren't very good, John. No. Marcus Mariota. He was speaking. He's going to be the honorary captain for the uh, Chick-fil-A Bowl. That is Oregon-Georgia game. It's one of the Chick-fil-A games. Marcus Mariota was asked about the moment. How's he feeling about being a captain for this kind of game? Punch it. Very surreal. Um, like I said, I, I really believe when I went to Oregon, I was just I was playing a game, man. I was going to school. Um, so I guess I never really felt the impact that I had while I was in school. I didn't understand it. Um you know, I always felt a big responsibility to Hawaii and, and representing that the best way that I could. Um, but now that I've gotten the NFL and I've been away from Eugene for a few years now, you know, I really believe that I represent Hawaii and Eugene because I, I feel like those are places that have really made me who I am. Um, so stepping out there for the game on Saturday is going to be surreal. Uh, it will be emotional for me because, um, you know, there's a lot of hard work and sacrifice that I've been put in to be able to stand where I'm at today. And, um, you know, just just grateful, really, for all the people that helped me get there. Um, so there'll be a lot of different emotions. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm just going to try to take it all in. 
And um, it'll be fun to see a lot of familiar faces. It'll be fun to see all the love and support. It'll be fun, you know, with the green and yellow jerseys really stand out in a red stadium. Um, so I'm excited for all that. And um, at the end of the day, I'm just going to try to take it all in. Marcus Mariota is the honorary captain, Atlanta Falcons quarterback. Coming up, we're going to talk about Tom Brady. What is going on with Tom Brady? Let's drill on that. Next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we all know Tom Brady uh, took some time off. Disappeared. Did he go on vacation? Something else going on with Tom Brady? Uh, here's how he sounded in his uh, news conference. He talked about his age and he talked about being busy. It's all personal. You know, everyone's got different situations they're dealing with. So we all have really unique challenges to our life. And, uh, you know, we're, I'm 45 years old, man. There's a lot of shit going on. So, you know, you just got to try to figure out life the best you can. And, um, you know, it's a, uh, continuous process so nah, what's going on with him and by the way when i say what's going on with him i mean what's going on with his face he's had some work done well I, you know call me conspiracy theory here but uh i kind of think he went away to make sure to touch up some things on his face a little surgery like you said think so yeah it, he looks strange like he's starting to look uh you know like we've seen athletes that have gone through uh some stuff he's not looking uh like a guy who's aging normally I mean, he looks great. That's the thing. At age 45, like, he shouldn't look that good. Yeah. Something's going, Something's up with him. But he's a little Botoxed out. I can't quite put my finger on what it is. I'm not an expert on looking at stuff like that. What do you think, Sean? What's going on with Tom Brady? Man, I, I think this is some kind of – the whole time I thought, you know, the training camp thing, not to be insensitive, was just him, him you know, just – kind of negotiating, hey, I'm down to play this season, but I don't really want to be a part of the grueling Florida August months when I've done 20-something training camps already. But I also think this might be some kind of a deal with Giselle, you know, and wanting to spend more time with his family. He's 45. He has this passion for football, but um, he also is, you know, probably as he gets older and older, um, family means more and more to him. So, man, I I don't want to be insensitive. I don't want to, you know, say that's all that it is, but uh, that's just kind of my theory on what's going on. I'm with you on that, but and maybe I'm seeing more of Tom Brady now. I'm seeing more of his face and him talking on Instagram and other places. But um, he just looks a little strange. And, you know, we all age. I'm wondering if he's fighting the aging in a way that, uh, you know, you remember when Sammy Sosa started to kind of change from not being Sammy Sosa after a while? I feel like Tom Brady's kind of doing that. Yeah, it's just it was just an interesting thing because Tom Brady is all about you know I work harder than everybody you know I'm always all in I'm you know full go as soon as I'm as soon as I'm at, you know part of the team like I'm coming back and I'm gonna be full throttle. Well, you just took ten days off in the middle of training camp. That doesn't seem like you're all in or that you're full throttle the whole time. It was just it's just weird timing and now it just you know everyone like me is just gonna be putting trying to put two and two together and uh, come up with a giant conspiracy. I feel like he should have retired and stayed retired. And, and his legacy is now a little in jeopardy because I'm kind of wondering, I'm looking at the Buccaneers' schedule as they start the season, and I'm wondering how good are they? And what happens if Brady's not very good to start the year? Is it going to change how we think about Tom Brady, guys? 
No, no not no. for me. Not for me. I, I do agree that I think he should have retired, but I think it was more he wanted to do it on his own terms, and it was the news is broken before he could put his announcement out. So he wanted to put the announcement out. As soon as he got the news got broken, he was retiring. I felt like out of spite he was going to come back just so he can announce his retirement officially. I also think it's weird with the whole Fox thing. Like, I feel like he should, you know, he has such a great deal with Fox Sports coming up, but it's not until he's done. And I wonder, you know, if, if he's, if, like, if he's taking time away from football, it doesn't seem like maybe he doesn't have the same love for it considering he just took a 10 day break. Why didn't he just start with Fox Sports this year? I wonder if. You know, Greg Olson's currently there, and maybe they wanted to to see him out first. I I just I, I bet you this is a Fox Sports variable as well. I don't know because I feel like they would do whatever Brady wanted to do. Uh, you know, they want him so badly they throw all that money at him. But he missed eleven days from training camp. He came back. Um, you know, it it was a concern. It's legit to ask, hey, what was Tom doing? Why wasn't he with the team? He's the star quarterback. Nobody knew why he was absent. The rumors were that he was questioning his retirement, he had family issues, he had gone on vacation, he was the mass singer, he didn't want to be in Tampa anymore. And, you know, every, at the end of the day, he probably, Sean, I think you're probably right, like he just wanted some time off, or Steven, you know, he just wanted that time off, and he'd, he'd earned it after being in the league for 20 years. He's, you know, uh, he's got the most accomplished uh, resume of any quarterback who's ever played the game, you know, and... He has the ability to win another Super Bowl this year. And so maybe part of the deal of him coming back with the Bucks was, hey, I'm going to be 45. I told my wife and kids that we could go on a summer vacation. That is a problem for me because it's going to come in training camp. If I do come back, well, how do you guys feel about me stepping away? And at that point, I think the Buccaneers should come forth. To, I mean, if that's the case, guys, shouldn't the Buccaneers clear this up and just be like, look, this was Tom saying – he wanted to go on this vacation. We negotiated it with him when he decided to come back. Uh, this is a non-story. There's nothing weird going on. He's not getting a medical procedure. He's not, you know, going through a divorce. He's not, you know, let's put all that to rest and just call it what it is. Or are they afraid if they do that that other star players are going to say, "Hey, I don't want to. I don't want to be at that training camp for the full time either." Yeah, I think it's that part. I think it's 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 a slippery slope because at what point does you know, a guy like Patrick Mahomes, at what age can he say, well, I don't want to be a part of training camp either? And, you know, the NFL is all about the shield, and you do it for the shield. I also think the Bucks don't want to look like they are just a player-driven organization, right? Like, they just they just crater to every single thing that a star player would say. So I think the Buccaneers want to kind of save face with it a little bit and not just give in to every demand. And I also think it's just for the whole NFL, like, at what point, like, can Damian Lillard, could he say, ah, I'm, I, you know, I may be the best player in Portland Trailblazers history. I don't want to play, play in training camp. I also think Tampa Bay doesn't want to officially say it because the second they go on a two-game losing streak or the second yeah. they have a bad loss, the media and just, like, NFL fans are going to be saying, oh, you shouldn't have let Brady uh, take that time off or, like, oh, Brady's not committed anymore. But I feel like Todd Bowles already kind of said it. Like, he, he mentioned in that he had that little line in that presser or in that quote and said, you know, we negotiated this uh, when he decided to come back. Like, that said everything that we needed to know. Brady said in his full statement, you know, it's it was personal. And, you know, I want to play this again because I want to listen closely. Here's Tom Brady. Listen. It's all personal. You know, everyone's got different situations they're dealing with, so we all have really unique challenges to our life. And, uh, you know, we're – I'm 45 years old, man. There's a lot of shit going on. So, you know, you just got to try to figure out life the best you can and 
um, you know, it's a uh, continuous process. So I mean, he just that I think saying nothing would have been better because that doesn't really answer anything, but it raises a whole bunch of uh, speculation. Now, apparently, he and his wife took a trip during that absence, so nobody's confirmed where they went, but they took a trip. So. I don't think it's that he has family issues like his family is splintering. I think it's more like maybe he doesn't want to throw Giselle under the bus. Maybe she said, okay, I'll let you go back, but this is what I want. I want that trip to Paris, and it's happening, by the way, uh, in the middle of training camp. And if you can make that happen, you can go play football again. Like, do you think the world would be angry at her? Would Buccaneers fans be going, you're messing with our season? Yeah, definitely. Just knowing that how crazed uh, football fans are. And, and I think we all can agree, like, you hope it's nothing, like, seriously wrong with that. Like, family-wise, nothing's really wrong. And it's just, you know, maybe he wants time away. And I think you could be right with the Giselle thing because Giselle has made comments about how she's been wanting Tom Brady to retire and step away from the game to be more of a family guy. And, you know, it seemed like he was going to when he retires, and now he comes back, and maybe she was mad and upset and said, you know what, Tom, you promised me this. you got to give this to me. Uh, and Tom's, you know, used his power that he has and did it for his wife, which would be great. Yeah, I think that's a good theory. And side note with Tom Brady, I don't know if you guys follow this, but did you guys see that the NFL Top 100 voted on by other players named Tom Brady the number one player in the NFL for the upcoming season? That was my peeve from the weekend. Man, like Josh, tw- <laughs> Josh Allen was number 12. Patrick Mahomes was number eight. And they had Tom Brady number one. I think that's ridiculous. Is that just based on the fact that Players are giving him respect. He's 45. He's got more rings than anybody. They're going, hey, you know, he's the GOAT. Or are the Buccaneers not very good without him? Yeah, Lifetime Achievement Award. I think I think um, it's a combination of both, right? Like, he can still play, and he can still ball, and you saw it in the preseason game. He still has skills, right? And I think the Buccaneers are going to be great because of him, but he's definitely not the best player in the NFL. Right, like I think yeah. there's the fine line. So I think it's just the fact that he has been so good that he got respect from you know from his peers that you know you still are like you said you're still the goat, Tom. So we'll give you number one. Again. I I also wonder because like Aaron Donald is number two, so like obviously you know kind of being a legend helped you on this list. I also wonder if there's a little bit of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert spite here, where it's like those guys are the future. Those guys are going to be running the league for a while, and maybe other players aren't as big on them versus Tom Brady's kind of on his way out. Could be. Could be a lot of that. I also can't get over the fact that he looks like he's had a ton of work done. Uh, and, like, I, I there were, people were retweeting his picture and stuff, and I'm like, okay, uh, you know, I, I we've se- like, I, I don't know what, what Michael Jackson you grew up with, but I watched Michael Jackson from the original thil- Thriller album change into Michael Jackson later, who is not recognizable from the original Thriller album, and I saw Sammy Sosa do some things. I feel like Tom Brady is headed down a path where, like, yeah, he's on all this, uh, you know, he's he's doing all this, you know, great nutritional stuff and diet stuff and exercise stuff that is supposed to be, you know, cutting edge, but he's also having some work done, guys. Like, that, you know, he's got some Botox in there. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to be a TV star, right? Like, I guess I understand that way. And I actually, speaking of Michael Jackson, I saw a tweet maybe like a month ago that was uh, year by year of Michael Jackson, his transformation, and just how he looked every single year. And it was fascinating, just the differences in the work yes. that he got done. Leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth. We're going to talk about Marcus Mariota coming up. He's not only the team captain for this Chick-fil-A Georgia-Oregon game, He said some interesting things about his trajectory from college to the pros and now 
with a second chance in the NFL. Mariota next. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Marcus Mariota had a rude introduction to the NFL, more or less. I mean, he played really well early on for the Tennessee Titans, but ultimately lost his starting job. A little bit embarrassing. Uh, Mariota has got a lot of fans, specifically in this part of the country. He did a news conference. I felt a little bait-and-switched, guys, by the Chick-fil-A people. You know, I don't know if we can trust the Chick-fil-A bowl at this point. They, uh, they offered up, they sent an email out, and they said, hey, uh, we're going to offer uh, some interviews with Marcus Mariota. Reply to this interview if you're interested in having him. And of course, everybody replied to it. Then the Chick-fil-A Bowl said, hey, here's a promotional video. And they gave it out, like these two or three videos out to all the media members. Uh, you know, tweet. feel free to tweet these while we decide who gets the Mariota interview. Now, I didn't do that promotional game. I didn't play the game because I went, eh, are they trying to get over on me here? Like, what are they trying to do? Uh, and in the end, they had Mariota do a group interview today where all the media members could share in asking him questions. I'm still efforting him for a one-on-one through the Falcons and through his mother, but uh, I think it was a little bit, a little slippery by the Chick-fil-A people, yeah. so to speak. I agree with you on that. Just based on that little story, it seems uh, seems like they wanted a little free publicity for what they were doing. Yeah, and I, and I, like I, saw, I saw they got some wide distribution of that promotional video, but I just kind of wondered, like, you know, and the video was great. Well, they, but, ca- they called Oregon the Pac-12 favorite. I was like, ah, <laughs> Utah exists. Sell it how you want, you know, sell it how you want. I get it. Uh, here is uh, Mariota talking about Eugene, Oregon. Let's just play a couple clips. Here he is. I um, just, just truly honored, and I've always thought of Eugene as a second home. It's a place where really I grew up. Um, you know, it's somewhere where, um, you know, I experienced so many different things. And um, those are some of the best years of my life. And to be able to be a part of this, this special moment, this special time for this team um, is really cool for me. And, you know, I'll never take this for granted. Uh, the support that I've received throughout my career is something that um, it's hard to even put a, like, a measure to it. Um, Eugene is, is a small community. I come from a small island in the middle of the Pacific. So a lot of those things really coincide, and I, I'm just truly privileged, and um, I'm looking forward to it. There's Mariota talking uh, very respectfully of his home away from home. He also gave some advice for Oregon's quarterbacks. Here's Mariota. Be yourself. Be yourself. Don't don't try to do too much. Don't go out there and try to be somebody you're not. Uh, play your game. And I think um, with those guys in that room, you know, we got the firepower to do it. It just comes down to just being yourself and going and making plays when they when they present itself. There it is. Make some plays. Be yourself. Probably talking to himself there. Uh, then he was asked about his relationship with Dan Lanning. Does he know Lanning that well? Here's Mariota. We actually had dinner um, out in Eugene. I, I spent a lot of my summers there. Uh, my wife is from Portland, so um, being able to go back is something that we make an emphasis of. And it was uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. We got to get together with our wives, um, got to know him a little bit. And I, I just appreciate the fact of where he's coming from. I think he really values 
um, what what Oregon was and what it continues to try to be. I think uh, moving forward, he's got a great plan, and I'm excited to see how it goes for him. There's Marcus Mariota. So far, guys, how's he doing? Doing great, and I, I think it's cool to hear you know Dan Lanning appreciating the history of Oregon, right? Like it's not it's not the farthest back of history, but Marcus Mariota is kind of known as like the man for Oregon football. And to reach out and have dinner with him and bring him back, I think it's a really good look for Dan Lanning. And it's another good look. Like Dan Lanning has done a lot of good things, I think, in this offseason to gain trust of Oregon fans. And with getting the trust of Marcus Mariota, I think that is the best thing he could have done. Yeah, it's, it's hard yeah. to be more humble and genuine than Mariota in a press conference. He did, yeah. He's doing great. It's about everybody but him. And here's the other thing. You know, Dan Lanning's no dummy. Remember when he was hired, one of the big news stories at that time was the letter. The letter that was written by Joey Harrington and a bunch of other alumni, including Marcus Mariota, uh, Justin Herbert, on the letter that sort of expressed that Oregon wanted to get back to its roots, that it's lost connection. And I think Dan Lanning is really smart because I, I, you have seen him at different points kind of go down the letter with all of the authors who signed it and connect with each one of them. Like, I think that was a concerted effort, and I think it was really smart of Lanning because one of the big frustrations, I think, when you are a fan is the different generations of the program. Like, this is an Oregon program that I think is on its, like, sixth coach since Rich Brooks left, and and uh, you, you make that transition from Mike Bellotti to Chip Kelly to Mark Helfrich to Willie Taggart to Mario Cristobal, to Dan Lanning, that's six coaches. And as a fan, you really, it's it does flow together for you because you were there for all of it. But sometimes you have uh, coaching staffs that don't really make an effort to connect with the players who played for other coaches. And it's a big mistake that, that some of the coaches make because those are your alumni and those are uh, valuable to your fan base. Um he was asked about the difference between the NFL and college football. You guys ready for this? What is he going to say? Because I haven't heard this clip yet. What is Marcus Mario going to say about the difference between the NFL and college football? Steven, have you heard the clip yet? I have, yeah. Okay. I can't play. All right. I am going to play it. Let's, here's Marcus Mariota talking about the differences between the NFL and college football. At least for me, like living in Oregon, living in Eugene was like living in a fishbowl or like living in an island. You know what I mean? Like I, I always refer to Hawaii because it is a smaller community. Um, when you get to the NFL, you're playing in big cities. And sometimes some of these big cities, you know, there's a lot of other things going on other than football. So they're not necessarily always so focused on your day-to-day activities. Um, does it change the, you know, how you feel about what's going on? I don't think necessarily. Um I always felt that when I was in Eugene, you know, people saw me when I was 17 years old and it's still the same people that, you know, I go to Buddy's Diner and I see, you know what I mean? So it's like, in in that sense, it's it's kind of cool because you build relationships that way. Um, sometimes in a big city, you know, again, like I said, you're not really building those types of relationships. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily a relief, but I, I really believe that at the end of the day, I think that's what makes college sports so different because you build such genuine relationships with a lot of different people outside of the program. There are a lot of players that will look back and talk to you about their college experience, and they will tell you, man, it's not the same when you turn a pro. And you lose the relationships. You It becomes a business. It's not as fun anymore. I mean, I, I've heard that over and over and over from athletes across you know, all sports that – 
you know, the love of the game, uh, yeah, it exists, and you find guys that will find the love of the game, but it doesn't exist in the same way that, you know, a guy like Marcus Mariota had it in his heyday at Oregon, the snowball fights and everything that happened back in the day uh, so far long gone. I remember thinking about that when, remember when Oregon had that snowball fight and everybody made a big deal about it? I do, yeah. And, and the thing about also with that clip, like you could tell the love he has for Eugene, right? Yeah. And it's those little things, like you said, it's the snowball fight. It's, you know, going to practice with your guys. It's meeting people at age 17 when they didn't even know, you know, they knew who you were, but you weren't the Heisman Trophy winner. And then they're still treating you the exact same after you win the Heisman Trophy. Like it's those things. And you can tell the love and the respect that he has for Eugene. And like, he just doesn't get that love in the NFL, which is understandable because like you said, it's a business. It's about winning a Super Bowl. It's about, are you fulfilling your contract? You're the second overall pick. You failed. You were, you know, you were the quote unquote bust in Tennessee. Now can you make it up? So like, I agree with you. Like he just he loves Eugene, and it, it was really cool to hear uh, throughout that interview just all the love that he had. My my guess was going to be uh, he was going to talk about the physicality and how you know getting sacked probably hurts a little bit more in the NFL, and um, it's a it's slower pace than he, what he was playing at Oregon. But yeah, he talked about the off the field stuff and you know how he misses the community part of it. And to your point, you know like your column a couple weeks ago about the Sewell family, uh, I was reading that, and you know they talked about how they're really going to miss college football. They pretty much you know expectedly have one more season with Noah. And then they say, you know, like basically what I got from that is they're not having as much fun like going to games, game day experience with Detroit, with the Lions, with Penne. So I, I do think that's what's special about college football. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, uh, you look at the Sewell family, they've they've had all these kids that, you know, five kids, four boys, and all four boys played college football. They've had all these opportunities to tailgate and see Nevada and see Utah and see Oregon with two kids at Oregon. And uh, now their baby, the 265-pound uh, baby of the family, um, is playing his last season. And I think, you know, Gabe and uh, Arlene Sewell are, are kind of dealing with, like, hey, you know what? Like, they're watching Panay, and they're watching uh, Nephi, who's with the Saints. Um, they're watching those guys, and they realize what a business it is. Like, Nephi's just trying to get an opportunity. And Panay is, you know, as a high draft pick, trying to play it out I, I think it's I think it's really interesting to get that perspective Mariota was asked about his legacy at Oregon I'm going to play that coming up I want you to leave it here you got the bald-faced truth back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 the game Yeah, I was roller skating over there at Oaks Park. You been to the Oaks Park roller rink, Stephen? I have, and it hasn't been too long. I went with uh, my son and my niece maybe three or four years ago. So, I'm pretty been, good. Are you good on skates? Um, no, not really. <laughs> You're an athlete, though. I am. Yeah, I'm a, I play real sports, though, John. Yeah. yeah. I uh, my thing is I I don't want a serious like I don't want to break a wrist or something and then have people go what were you doing I was uh, roller skating I don't want to do that <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm the same way but you know I like to be funny so I'll go you know speed burst and I'll try to go as fast yeah. as I can for like you know two feet and then I stop. To me, it's not <laughs> it's not the uh, turns. It's not even the balance. I'm good there. You know, uh, it's it's stopping and I'll get going. 
I got to really just steer myself into the wall like a hockey player. S- just stop myself. That's just, it. Just flip over the boards. Yeah, stop. just hit the board. Yeah. <laughs> Checking kids out there on the... <laughs> Get out of my way. But there's always like these two dudes that are like in the middle of the skate rink who are doing their own thing. You know the guys I'm talking about? Yeah, definitely not me. I'm, I'm more of a, you know, by the boards side guy. Yeah, they're fi- They're dancing to the music. They're doing things on skates that I'm like, no, you're going to get hurt. What are you doing? guy? But uh, I did see some other dads there who were not in skates. And I met and I, I, I skated by them on the boards and I said, you're smarter than me. You know, <laughs> that somehow they got out of it and just were there to watch. But I got to I was mostly doing it because the six year old and the eight year old were just dying for me to do it with them. Like mom will always do it with them. And they were like, come on, will you, will you skate with me? And I, how are you going to say no to that? Yeah, I can't even imagine. I have two boys, and it's hard enough to say no to them. So I can't even imagine like having two little girls asking you to do something. I would just melt, and I would have to say yes yeah. to everything. It's the yeah. ice skating that scares me more than the oh, – I haven't been rollerblading that, in a while, yes. but I feel like ice skating is where I always worry about hurting myself. I'm, I'm really bad at it. And, yeah. man, I can't imagine playing hockey like – you know, talk about football being a physical sport. Like, I, I, I talked to Adam Sussman about the former employee. He plays hockey. But, man, it, I feel like that's a more brutal sport than football. Just playing on ice and skating around and getting checked and falling on the ice. And knives on your skates. Yeah, can't imagine. Like, skates are just knives. You're just going to stab people. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. The thing that blows me away about hockey is you get a you get a sense of how big those dudes are. And then you watch them skate, and they don't look big because they can move on the ice, and they're they're you know they're not quite like an ice dancer in the Olympics, but they're really close. Like they're really graceful on ice, and you go like, how's that big dude skating around like that? And you realize they grew up on it. Marcus Mariotto was asked about his legacy at Oregon. He was asked about the underdog mentality. Uh, we all talked about all that stuff. How about the hype? Do the Ducks have a shot? Here's Mariota. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's billboards across, you know, the highways talking about the game. Um, you know, there, there's, I mean, Athens from Flower Branch where we train, um, I think it's 45 minutes away. So uh, a lot of Georgia Bulldog fans. But you know what? There's a lot of West Coast guys out here too. Um, you know, I got a few Pac-12 teammates and um, it's fun. It's fun in the locker room to talk about it, to chat it up. Um, so I, I'm very excited. And it's been it's been awesome being in Atlanta. I think um, you know being down here in a kind of football crazy part of the country, um, it is fun and it's, it is an enjoyable. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to this game. I, I really believe that at the end of the day, uh, our guys got a chance to do it. Here's the other thing I believe about Mariota. I think this season for him in Atlanta is a season where he needs to get footing. Like I don't necessarily think that Marcus Mariota needs to be in the MVP discussion. I don't think he needs to be, uh, you know, considered for an all-pro team. Like, I keep hearing people saying he needs a big season. He needs a big numerical season. I don't think that's it. I think he needs a good season. I think he needs the kind of year that gives the Falcons front office some hope that they can get some pieces around him next year and that he's their guy. Like, I think a win for Mariota would be, you know, look, they, they drafted a quarterback. It is, you know, obviously a player at his position. Uh, they got him for now and relatively low risk. But a win for him would be his coaching staff at the end of the year going, hey, you know what? We are like two offensive linemen and a wide receiver away from 
really having a shot on offense with this guy. Like, we don't have a problem at quarterback. And I think if that happens, that's a win for Mariota. What about you guys? Yeah, I mean, it'll be, he'll still only be 29 years old at the end of the season. So that's he's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And I think you're right. Like, if he has a good season this year, they can hold off and say, you know what, we're going to build around you for one more year and try to get some better players around you. Yeah, I think he needs to prove that he's a starting quarterback in this league. Right now, he's kind of on that fence. I think he needs to prove that he's a reliable starter, whether it's on the Falcons or another franchise. Is he a starter, guys? I think he is. Yeah, I think he didn't get a fair shot in Tennessee. I I still want to see it, but I I could totally see him being one of the 32 best in the league. All right, we'll talk more about it in the 5 o'clock hour. Plus, the 5 at 5 is coming up. You got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Leave it right here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I'm telling you, sometimes quarterbacks in the NFL just need a little bit of time to sit, watch, learn. Grow. I mean, I think in the end, if you ask Aaron Rodgers, if he had had his choice, come in and play right away or sit for a while and watch Brett Favre, I don't think he would have sat as long as he did, but I think he would acknowledge that he probably benefited from being on the bench. Same thing happened years ago. I was covering the NFL in 2000, 2001. Right in that era where John Gruden and the Raiders, Rich Gannon at quarterback, they were the best offensive team, went to the Super Bowl. And in the NFC, the Niners were really good too. Jeff Garcia was the starting quarterback. And at the time, it was Rich Gannon who had sat for years in Kansas City and Minnesota as a backup, was leading the NFC in passing. And it was Jeff Garcia in the NFC that was the leader of the NFC passing category. And he was a guy who had to go to the Canadian Football League and sit behind Doug Flutie in Calgary. And when Flutie went to the NFL, got his shot. Garcia got his shot in the Canadian League and then ultimately the NFL. There's something to being able to sit and wait. I think there's value in that, even though I think we're in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately, let's-get-there-fast mentality. I think uh, the quarterbacks who are really successful in the league. Even Patrick Mahomes had a chance to sit. He was injured, but he had a chance to sit, and I think he benefited from not being thrown into the fire. How many times have we seen a young QB get into the league with a bad team, drafted high? Uh, Joey Harrington comes to mind. Uh, It was tragic what happened to him in Detroit. Had he gone into a different situation, different scenario, would he have been better off? Probably. Maybe. Even Tom Brady got a chance to sit. And I wonder how much that benefited Brady sitting behind, uh, you know, a quarterback that was warming his seat fresh out of out of uh, Washington State. And then as soon as he gets hurt, Drew Bledsoe gets hurt. Then here comes Tom Brady in the legacy. Right. And I, I just wonder, guys, do you think Marcus Mariota in this really his second chance? Because I think it's time with the Raiders, you know, ever really got to play for a sustained time this second chance with the Falcons it's not ideal offensively they are they have a wide receiver who unfortunately bet on some games and they don't have him available they have uh you know an offensive line that's spotty um could be better around him but 
I think it's you know the situation you take if you're Marcus Mariota. But is this one going to end, have a better ending than his time in Tennessee? Yeah, you talk about the situation, and I mean, if Marcus Mariota is really a starting quarterback in the NFL and an average to above average quarterback, he's going to have a good season because this team around him, like you said, is not very good. And so people are going to see him really excel and say, okay, well, this guy can start in the NFL. Um, to answer the question of do I think he'll be better than he was in Tennessee, I don't think so. I, I just think, like you said, the supporting cast isn't great, so I just don't have enough trust that he's going to get enough help. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll put up some good stats because Atlanta's probably going to be down. The defense is pretty poor, so he's going to put up some passing yards, some passing touchdowns, but I don't necessarily know that it's going to equivalent to you know winning, winning quarterback player, winning football. Yeah, here's what worries me about the Atlanta situation. I'm worried that he's just kind of a placeholder and that he is just kind of, you know, there until they find someone better. Desmond Ritter could be that quarterback if Mariota struggles. I also think that they're a tanking team this year. Like like Steven said, the defense isn't good. The weapons are okay. I like Drake London. I like Kyle Pitts. Um, great, great tight ends. Yeah, yeah. great tight ends. Um, but I, I do worry that they are going to try to tank this year. I feel like they could be one of those teams in the hunt for a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud uh, or even a Tanner McKee. So uh, I, I hope that he plays himself onto a QB1 role. Uh, I, I just said the word. I'm sorry. Uh, starting quarterback. <laughs> Man, I'm falling for it, too. Yeah, I, right. I hope he gets himself in the starting quarterback role, but I could also see the Falcons replacing him with a younger, more sexy name. So maybe he plays well enough on Atlanta and someone else takes a stab on him once, once they find someone maybe a little bit better than Mariota. I was gra- glad to see them draft Drake London because uh, that was, you know, they've got London, they've got Kyle Pitts at tight end. They're okay there. But it reminded me a little bit of his time in Tennessee where he only had Delaney Walker to throw to and then it was a bunch of young uh, wide receivers. Let's talk about the offensive line. It's going to be Jake Matthews at left tackle. He's good. Drew Dahlman at center. Um, you've got Chris Lindstrom at right guard. They were not good a year ago, and they've got two guys in Lindstrom and Matthews who are locks. They're easily the best two offensive linemen. The rest of that offensive line is kind of, eh, let's see what happens. So uh, Elijah Wilkinson will start at left guard. So that is supposed to be an upgrade. He replaces uh, Jalen Mayfield, who has started most of last season. So that's interesting, but, you know, you go to wide receiver, it's London, it's Brian Edwards, it's, you know, Mariota at quarterback. Um, I don't know, though. I I don't think I don't think he's going to be bad. I just think the team has a chance to not be good. And so if the problems are viewed at the end of the year that, hey, this isn't a great offensive team, but we don't need a starting quarterback, that would be like, that's a win for for Marcus Mariota because that the narrative has to be that he's not a placeholder by the end of the year which means he's got to win some games he shouldn't win and he's got to have some moments that are big moments and especially early on if he can do that so i think he's a candidate guys for comeback player of the year statistically because i do i agree with you steven i think they're going to be behind in games and i think he's going to have some numbers yeah and the, the head coach of the falcons arthur smith he was with mariota when they were in tennessee so he does have that relationship with him so i think i think for mariota like yeah, you, you talked about being in a better situation maybe, but he's going to be able to put up numbers, I think, in this offense, and he's going to have a head coach that knows his skill set, right, and is going to put him hopefully in the best spots for him because he's you know, he's a great guy, right, and you he's a guy you want to, to succeed. 
I just don't know if he's going to right now in this situation, but I, I'm really hoping so because I think he's going to put up some good numbers. I got comeback player of the year odds on the DraftKings app right now. Yeah. Marcus Mariota, 16-1, to 1, and I see eight names in front of him. Bad him. It's not yeah, bad, yeah. I like it. I think I I just set up that way because here you know we know these we all know that these awards are usually for players coming back from a major injury. Joe Burrow, Alex Smith, Mariota's not coming off an injury, but neither was Ryan Tannehill, and he won the award in 2019 after replacing Mariota. So I think it would be really interesting. Uh, you know the Falcons franchise. Uh, you know have. They've done this before. They've looked at the scrap pile and gone, okay, who who needs a second chance? Who deserves a second chance? I think Mariota will get votes if he is healthy, if he helps the Falcons win some games. They shouldn't, but it's a tough position, I think, for him to be in. Uh, all right, let's play some punch it audio. It's the best sound from all around. Five, Boise, and, five, five and five. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I just bounced right into it. You know what I was thinking? It's 509 we got coming up at 518. We're going to go to Boise, Idaho. So let's do the five at five, and I'll and I'll giddy up through it. Let's do it. The five at five. I'm like Harry Carey right now, just stumbling around. <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo remaining with the Niners. I'm going to start with that at number one. He will stay with the Niners. They restructured his contract. Jimmy G takes less money, but also gets a no-trade clause, gets a no franchise tag clause thrown in on the new deal it ensures that garoppolo stays as the backup to trey lance this season if the niners need him but it gives him massive flexibility at the end of the season he'll be an unrestricted free agent he'll be on the open market he'll get to pick where he plays and how much he makes it's a win for the niners in the short term it's a win for jimmy garoppolo in the long term number two in our five at five think about this Jim Harbaugh talking in biblical terms when he's talking about uh, starting his quarterbacks. He referenced the Bible in Solomon when explaining his decision to use two starting quarterbacks in the first two games. What is he doing? He's saying, no person knows what the future holds. It's a process. It will be based on performance. We're not going to withhold any good thing. He's leaning into the Bible to justify his decision to play two quarterbacks. There are worse ways that coaches have justified that decision. They'll start with Cade McNamara at quarterback. He started last season. He'll get the start for this week's opener against Colorado State. Sophomore J.J. McCarthy will get the second start on September 10th against Hawaii. Both quarterbacks will see time in both games. Jim Harbaugh going biblical. Third thing in our 5 at 5 Marcus Mariota speaking to media today. We've been all over this stuff. He said it's going to be surreal. He said, look, uh, his legacy at Oregon is cemented. He has good feelings about that. But he also said, and he warned Oregon players, don't get overhyped for a game like this. Just stay within yourself. I think it's great advice from Marcus Mariota. It'll be good to see him around the game, even if it's just a ceremonial touch. He's now with the Falcons. Mariota is a honorary captain for Saturday's game. Last week, we talked about Florida A&M University's football players who uh, considered not traveling to North Carolina to play their season opener in Chapel Hill. Uh, they played despite 26 ineligible players. They lost 56-24, to but the school got paid $450,000 for playing the game. In the days since, 
some details have begun to surface about the unrest in the FAMU athletic uh, department and ineligible players. Their coach, Willie Simmons, told ESPN in a phone interview about the athletic department's shortcomings. He said the school only has one academic advisor. And, by the way, he said the compliance officer is also the financial aid officer. Among the 26 ineligible players include three starters. Three starters. 26 players out. By the way, a couple of players said they were misadvised on their course load leading to a four-game suspension that they have. They are a little bit lost, a little bit confused, but it raises some questions about sort of minimum standards for athletic departments. What should they be required to have? I think it's going to be a hot-button topic in the coming month. Finally, our fifth thing in our five at five, Notre Dame football coach Marcus Freeman looked up at the board and saw his team was a 17-and-a-half-point underdog to Ohio State this week. He says that's going to be a motivator. They're looking for any advantage. They'll play Saturday, 4.30 Pacific time on ESPN. Freeman said he didn't know about the spread, but he's going to use it. Notre Dame is the number five ranked team. It's just the fourth time in 45 years that a team has been an underdog by 17 or more points while being a top five team. That's our five at five. Steven, who do you like in that Notre Dame-Ohio State game? Oh, man. Uh, I think I still kind of like Ohio State in that one. Yeah, about, I feel like Alabama-Ohio State are just a way above everybody in a tier in itself. So It's a lot of points, man, in a week one game. But the, the unknown of the quarterback at Notre Dame, you know, brand new coach. We all like Marcus Freeman. But, you know, like one of those things I just think Ohio State returns too many guys that I know of, that I've heard of, that are comfortable in these type of big situations. I think Ohio State... Uh, and Alabama are kind of destined to play each other in the national title. So I think it starts yeah. off with a big win for Ohio State. I don't know. I, I, I don't know enough about Ohio State, but you, you tell me that I can get a top-five team and 17.5 points, I'd probably jump at the points. I think Ohio State's offense is going to be all-time this year. We talked about it last week. Jackson Smith and Jigba and C.J. Stroud, and then they have uh, Trevion Henderson, who's another Heisman candidate. I think uh, they're going to score a lot of points. But I agree. I think you know top-five team. Uh, 17 points. That's a lot. But think about this at the, like the five o'clock ish hour. It's going to be Notre Dame, Ohio State. It's going to be Utah, Florida. And then obviously Oregon State uh, versus Boise State. Like I can't imagine the amount of dopamine I'm going to be releasing during that, uh, you know, that time slot. It's just college football is so back. Yeah. Right, here's the thing, though. Like, and this was, you know, a year ago. Week two, Oregon's going to Ohio State. I watched week one. Ohio State played Minnesota. Didn't play well. Didn't look good. Minnesota pushed them around. Then I said, I think Oregon can, can be in this game. And then I started thinking about it. I said, you know, I think Oregon can win this game. And people said I was crazy. But I think part of the fact that these early season games in the first two weeks are interesting to me is that you get squirrely things that happen. Remember Oregon State damn near beat LSU after they were coming off a national championship a few years ago if they didn't miss a bunch of extra points they would have done it and I kind of think Oregon's going to go to Georgia and play closer than maybe they should because it's week one isn't there some of that logic that should apply to this Notre Dame Ohio State game like I think by the end of the year yeah Ohio State's probably firing on all cylinders like they did a year ago but in week one guys 17 and a half points I mean, maybe, but I think last year, you know, you talk about that game against Minnesota, it was C.J. Stroud's first start. And I think now that he has a whole year under his belt, Trayvon Henderson, like Sean said, you know, he's a Heisman you know, Heisman uh, favorite as a sophomore now. Like, he has a year under his belt. I think 
it's just a very veteran team, especially in the offense. I think they'll be clicking from day one where last year Minnesota kind of caught him by surprise a little bit, yeah. ran into him, and that's when Oregon got him that next week. I think this week, I think Oregon, or I think Ohio State, I think they're going to be ready to go from week one. That, that game could be close the whole way, and then Ohio State can just snap their fingers and score two touchdowns. Like They, they have that good of an offense going into the season. So I think that's yeah. kind of the knowledge behind uh, the – that's the justification behind yeah. uh, that spread. I get it, but I also we don't know what Notre Dame is like, you know. And I think that's a question too. Is you know we expect them to be a contender, but man, every time I see a top five team with getting that kind of points, uh, my ears perk up. Speaking of uh, ears perking up, Mike Prater is one of the great voices in Idaho. He hosts a radio show there. He writes a column for the Idaho Press. Boise State heading to Corvallis on Saturday night. What should Oregon State expect? Let's talk some football with Mike Prater. It's next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, our next guest, Writes a column, hosts a radio show, does it all. Mike Prater is a host. I went on his show today in Idaho. He's returning the favor now. He's here to talk about Boise State. They're going to play at Oregon State on Saturday at Research Stadium. Uh, of the 22 starters on offense and defense for Boise State, if you follow Prater on Twitter, you know 18 of the 22 are seniors. Andy Avalos bringing a very experienced team to Oregon State. Mike Prater joining us now. Uh, experienced and good or just experienced? Let's go with uh, experienced and potentially good. There's obviously some bright spots on this roster, but I think there's also some red flags. And uh, you can even go deeper into the experience. The two juniors on offense, George Helani, the running back, and, and Ben Dooley, the uh, the starting right guarder, both juniors, they might be the best NFL prospects on this team. So can you imagine losing like 21 or something like that of your starters after this year? The Boise State fans are already upset about uh, the depth chart because they're looking ahead to next year and thinking about all the players they're going to lose. George Halani is a sensational, very versatile player. Give us an idea of what we should expect from him on Saturday. Well, we did talk to the coordinators today, Tim Plow, the offensive coordinator, and he said we'd be crazy to take George off the field. And uh, if he can get through an entire season with that kind of mentality, then, then Boise State's going to have a really good football season. But that's the problem with George, as you probably know. He, he's not available all the time, and uh, he's had injury issues in the past. If he can be healthy, and he looks healthy in camp so far, everybody looks great so far in camp, uh, he's kind of that nice little mixture of, you know, he can cut right, he can cut left, he can go and run in north-south, and he can be some power guy, and he can do some things. They also named him today, even though the backup running back at Boise State's an 18-year-old freshman who's never played a uh, true freshman, by the way. He left school early. That's that's Helani's backup, but they have enough faith in him that they made him the starting punt returner today as well. So Helani's going to be on the field a lot, doing a lot of different things, and Boise State fans are already crossing their fingers, hoping that he can stay healthy. Mike Prater with us, Idaho Sports Talk, also writes a column in Idaho. If you want to follow Mike on Twitter, it's at Mike F. Prater. Uh, Mike, give us an idea. Andy Avalos is a head coach. You've seen some guys come through there from, you know, Chris Peterson to Brian Harson now to Avalos. Um, 
how different is this program feel with Avalos in charge? Ah, boy, you know, coming off of a five-loss season, you know how that goes in, in terms of just the angst that the fans have. He's their favorite son. As you coming over from Oregon and, and a former linebacker here out of Boise State, uh, everybody loves Andy, but uh, there's a lot of reservations. And, and Andy doesn't speak a lot in specifics. Andy's, uh, you know, one of those more, he speaks very general. He talks about progress, but then he won't get into the details of talking about progress. So I think that there is a, a lot of nervous potential excitement for, for Boise State fans right now, all going back to Andy Avalos. They want him to succeed. They want nobody to – I mean, they, they love him here. But you can't compete here for five lost seasons. That's going to turn off a lot of different people. So um, he's made pretty good decisions this offseason. I think this football team is in a lot better shape when it comes to where they are now as opposed to when he was last year. He was just trying to figure it out last year, and I think this year he took it to another step, at least on paper. I I love what he's got with his defense. He's got some potential with his offense. He's trying to do some nice things off the field in terms of helping the athletic department build this big vision, this $300 million vision they have, and and he's part of that. But uh, right now I I just think he needs to win this football game. If he loses this football game, he, he could lose this season, and I don't want to get overly dramatic, but the fans here are that fickle. They want big-time postseason games. They want bowl games. They want nice opponents at the end of the season. They want nice, shiny things, and uh, you've got to beat Oregon State to make that happen. Give me an idea, Mike. How important is this game to kind of the path that Boise State might see into the Pac-12 or the Big 12? Oh, can I turn that question back to you? You're the Pac-12 expert. You did come on the show today. I appreciate that and, and talked about that. And, um um, you know, as a, uh, as a as a proud Ute alum, I'm uh, I was really happy with what you said on our show today. The, you know, Boise State can do well just by following the path of Utah and what they've done. And ironically, Boise State had Utah's number on the football field, but yet Utah has taken its program to new levels, and Boise State very much wants to be that way. You just kind of kind of keep grinding. It's the Kyle Whittingham way. Keep grinding and grinding and grinding. You know, get it right, fix what's happening, fix what's wrong, get it right for the next season, and just keep grinding and doing what you can. And um, you know the complications, the political complications, the academic complications, the historical, you know, obstacles that are in Boise State's way right now of getting into the Pac-12. It's very, very difficult to see me, for me to see that happening. But, you know, nothing's going to be decided short term. But if you can beat Oregon State, Maybe you raise some eyebrows in Pac-12 country, keep doing what you're doing, get to a big bowl game this year. Maybe the timing is right. Sometimes the timing has to just be right, and over the next couple of months, maybe they can get lucky with the timing. Yeah, I think it's, you know, some things have changed. Like, I think it used to be that the academic fit was was right at the front of the conversation. I think it's more towards the back of the conversation now, Mike, because, you know, what, what what the TV networks want are television households and they want brands, and the thing that Boise State and UNLV and, to some extent, Fresno State and San Diego State can bring is they can bring the Pacific time zone, and they can bring, you know, the mountain time zone, and they can, you yeah. know, because Boise State will kick games off at, what, 8.30, 8, 9, 10, midnight, whenever they want it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, let me let me ask you this question, because I've always been kind of curious about this. You know, uh, Boise has a small market value. I mean, with 100 in, 100 in the country, whatever the number is these days. But if they bring, like, say, 70% of, of that number, 
How does that compare if I go to like an SMU where SMU does not deliver the Dallas TV market, but obviously the Dallas TV market is massive. How does a guy like Bob Thompson or the, the television executives out there, how do they weigh that? How do they juggle that? Yeah, that's a good question. And here's, I mean, here's the thing, because at first glance, what I want to say and what fans would want to say is, look, television ratings matter more than anything, right? Eyeball, actual sure. eyeballs on the game matter more than anything. But what, yep. what the networks do when they go to sell the the commercial spots to sponsors is they'll talk about total hel- television households available in the broadcast market and they talk about Dallas Fort Worth as if everybody's watching that's in that SMU market now ratings and brand and success on the field are secondary factors they do matter to some extent but the problem I think that Boise State has and the biggest obstacle and I think why I put them I think I had them at like eight to one to get into the conference or whatnot. But while they're there and they're not like two to one, is the five hundred and seventeen thousand TV households in Idaho. That's the biggest yeah. challenge they have. But the, in this climate, and this is why I think the window or the door is open. You know, ESPN needs inventory, and if it grabbed at San Diego State, Boise State, Fresno State, and UNLV. It could virtually have a monopoly on the primetime windows in the Pacific time zone, and that is pretty interesting. And I think that's why all of a sudden people look past maybe the number of households or they might look past. And here's the other thing, Mike. Boise State's not going to want or or they're going to be okay taking less than a full distribution because correct me if I'm wrong. Like you have your finger on the pulse of that fan base. How many people there would walk to the Pac-12 headquarters if they knew Boise State could get in if they walked there. Like, you'd have that whole fan base on the freeway, walking down the freeway. They've, they've been dreaming about it for 20 years, even when they were, you know, back in the big sky days. They, the, 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 the fans here can be delusional, and that's the only thing that they've always wanted. They want a spot in the Pac-12, John. Mike Prater with us, Idaho Sports Talk. You can read him online and uh, follow him on Twitter as well. He writes a column in Idaho. Uh, great follow. Give us an idea defensively what Oregon State will be up against. How good is Boise State's defense? That's the scary part of this football team right now, and I really do believe that this defense is legit. They only gave up 19 points a game last year, and they got a lot of those guys back, and then now they have a lot of dependable depth behind them, and that's kind of the sexy phrase out there these days, dependable depth. Andy Avalos loves that phrase, but he's really built dependable depth behind every single position on this defense, and there's playmakers up front. There's some transfers that I think are going to make a difference. He's got some playmakers on the backside. Now he's got, you know, there's red flags you can look at. One of his uh, safeties is going to be five foot eight, and he probably is five foot six, five foot seven. But uh, he's the mighty mouse guy in terms of the Rodney Robinson. So there is some some talent discrepancies between this Mountain West program and like a Pac-12 program. But those playmakers, there's those guys that are going to get after it. I really think they're going to work on the edge an awful lot. They're trying to they're going to try to really really hard to get after Chance Nolan. I know Oregon State's offensive line is rock solid. I know you're a big believer in that offensive line. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a coach uh, on the first game of the first week of the season, but uh, Oregon State's offensive line against Boise State's defensive line and how Boise State can attack from behind that defensive line I think will be the key to this football game. The, you made your predictions for the season in the Idaho press, and you picked – Oregon State in this game. If correct me if I'm wrong, you had you had Boise State losing three games. This was one was of correct. them. How did that fly yep. with the Boise State fan base? <laughs> They're probably used to it around here with me. Uh, 
you know, I, I like to brag that I'm the John Canzano of Boise and uh, ruffle a few feathers every now and then. So uh, I, I've actually used that line before. I hope you don't mind. I'll send you a couple no. bucks every time I use it. But, <laughs> um, you know, you know, everybody here expects because of the reputation of, of Oregon State, and we all know that it's a little bit better. And, and there is some love for Jonathan Smith, who sent, spent some time here with with Chris Peterson. So there's a there's a respect factor here that probably wasn't there a couple of years ago, the way Jonathan's built this program. But I still think, you know, the Boise State hardcore says we we have to beat Oregon State. We cannot lose to Oregon State. This is a game we have to uh, to win. So they're fully expecting it to win. I think it's going to be a tough battle. If Boise State can win this game, they're going to have a magical season. I really, truly believe that. But uh, right off the bat, uh, I probably need to see a little bit more of a body of work, especially from this offense, before I can predict Boise State to walk into a Pac-12 stadium under any circumstances and beat that team. So, uh, yeah, I think Oregon State probably going to win this football game. All right, Mike Prater, Idaho Sports Talk. You can read him as well. Uh, online if you're interested in reading about the game. He's a good follow at the Idaho Press. Uh, Mike, before I cut you loose, um, you know, this is, I think, going to be a really good game. I think both these teams will play, uh, you know, very resilient, and uh, I like the coaches on both sides. I think it's real. It's Oregon State's offense against Boise State's defense in my book. Um, But, uh, you know, if Avalos has a down season – how much job security? You, you know, you talk talked to him about the native son, and he played there. And how much patience will that would will Boise State have with him? Boy, if they lose, let's say four plus games, five games, uh, don't play in the Mountain West Championship game. Uh, he is the favorite son, and it's going to be really, really hard. This this was always my this was always my argument about every single Boise State fan wants Kellen Moore to come back. Well, just because Kellen Moore comes back doesn't guarantee success. We see what he's doing right now with great resources in the NFL. Why would you want to fire Kellen Moore? That's, that just seems ludicrous. And, and you know what? Andy Avalos is probably just one step below that. Why would you want to get rid of a favorite son? But the expectations and the standard around here are pretty high with 20, 30, 40 years of success. And uh, if he has another four or five last season, he's going to be in trouble. Mike Prater, I appreciate you. Thanks for what you do. John, appreciate you, bud. Appreciate being on your show, and have a great season. There you go. We'll see what happens Saturday night. Uh, I like Oregon State, but I don't feel great about it. But, again, this isn't a Chris Peterson-Boise State team. This is an Andy Avalos-Boise State team. And, you know, the, the little bit of the shine came off Boise State last season. Still, 18 seniors among the 22 starters. A four-year starter at quarterback for Boise State. The questions for Boise State are not on offense. They've got a running back who is going to return punts and return kickoffs, and he'll be on the field. They'll get him the ball a million different ways. But I really feel like this is Boise State's defense against the run game of Oregon State because I think Oregon State is going to line up, and I think they're going to go, hey, this is what we do. We run the ball at people. And stop us. And if Boise State can't stop Oregon State, long night for the Broncos. Leave it here. <laughs> Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. When I was a kid, I can remember we used to uh, send away for things that were like a prize that the cereal box or the cereal company offered. If you, you know, if you send this thing in to Battle Creek, Michigan, you'll get you know, the secret Dakota ring or whatever it was, the prize that would come back to you. 
Um, the mail was an exciting thing as a kid. Like, it was a big deal. I can remember, like, the post guy coming by the mailbox and me going down to see, like, did my did my package come? Did this, whatever, you know. Uh, you guys, do your kids do that? Are they into the mail? Uh, if I go get the mail, they will follow me, but they don't actively seek out the mail. So I would say no, that they're not super into mail. I don't have kids, but... Uh... Yeah, I used to be so excited to go get the mail. Like yeah. I, you know, like especially around this time, you. This is when I was in elementary school and middle school. I used to learn who my teacher would be. Yeah, I used to learn who. Um, like in middle school, we had like different sectors of the school, and I would learn like what what sector we called it, like Skyhawks, Seahawks. It was. Um, a- a- anyways, uh, I so I basically got to like call all my friends and say like, Hey, here's like where I'm going to be for school this year, and it was just the most fun thing. Yeah, I I uh, I used to sharing that and i still i it's odd i don't get anything happy in the mail i get bills like everybody else i don't know why there's still an excitement about the mail it's not in my kids i've tried to transfer that to them but they don't see like the, they go to them like steven like you they'll go to the mailbox with me but i think we need to start like having them send away for stuff there's no uh there it's it's instant gratification now yeah. right well it's like the it's because like amazon right like it's the packages that's what they get excited mm-hmm. for like my kids love packages when they see a package on the front step yeah they're excited they want to bring it in the house but they don't care about just like paper mail we bought something on ebay one of my my youngest daughter wanted a pokemon card okay it it was literally like a nothing card. It just looked cool. It's like ninety nine cents on eBay. She uh, she wanted to get it, and I said, uh, okay, we're gonna order it. It's like a buck plus shipping. Okay, L- small investment by dad, but um, I told her the uh, delivery date on it isn't till September eighth. She just came in during the commercial break and she said, did it come in the mail today? <laughs> I said we ordered it yesterday, September eighth, kid. You know what that means? I showed her the calendar. This is going to be a while. She seemed uh, less than thrilled about about the wait that she's going to have to make to September 8th to get this stupid card that she probably will forget about by the time it comes. But I think it's a good exercise. I'll have her go check the mail on September 8th when it arrives. Yeah, and uh, if I've learned anything about Pokemon cards is kids love Pokemon cards. It's insane. Yeah. I you know I was a big card guy when I was a kid, but mine was all sports cards. The kids nowadays, they just love Pokemon cards. My kid is obsessed with them. Do you still collect your sports cards? I don't anymore. Um, I've gotten uh, like you know NBA Top Shot NFT space. Yeah, I, I have some of those in like the NFL version of those. I don't really collect though. Like I more try to just flip them for money uh, at this point in my life. So did you save your cards or did you sell your cards? Uh, I left them at my parents' house when I moved out, so they could be anywhere. And then yeah. my wife uh, made me throw out some that I kept. So I kept some. I remember when I moved to our house. And then she got your wife made them. you throw them out. Yeah, she she was cleaning one day and she just got really annoyed with them because she hates cards. She thinks mm-hmm. they're the most pointless thing in the world. Um, and so, you know, it's just one of those things where I just cut it off. I was like, whatever. So you need to show out. her like a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle. I know. I wish yeah. I had one. It's po- not pointless. Um, but, uh, yeah, my dad uh, collected his cards. Like, he was in the era where those vintage cards were, you know, in the 1950s, early 50s cards. And, um, you know, I'll show him books, and he'll be like, oh, I had that card. I had that Hank Aaron rookie card. Oh, I had that card. And his mom threw him out when he went away to play professional baseball. He was signed with the Mets and took off, and he came home, and his cards were tossed. It was the same thing. Like, his mom was like, it's just cardboard play cards. What are you doing? Yeah. And yeah. I remember looking around her garage on summer days, <laughs> looking for that box of cards, <laughs> thinking maybe she just stuck them in here. 
No, alas, they were gone. John, uh, yeah. a question for you. One of the things I like to collect is um, from my college days, like media credentials for games. Do you yeah. do you have all of your media credentials? Is that something you collect? I have. I, I didn't do it intentionally, but over the years, when I got a season credential or a game credential, I always threw it in a shoebox during the season. And so by the end of the season, I had a box full of things. And I do have in the garage this giant tub that you get like at Home Depot or Costco, like that giant storage tub full of credentials. One day I'll go through them, Sean, and sort through them. But I don't know who's going to want them. Like who's going to want those credentials? Like my kids? And they'll only want like the cool one. Like give me have the Rose Bowl credential or whatnot. Like, you know, I got them back when I was a beat reporter covering Indiana and Purdue and Notre Dame. I've got all those credentials in a box, so I do keep them. But I also have them strewn around the house in places that I'm sure like Anna finds them and is like, what the hell is this thing uh, that are sitting around? But yeah, I mean, you. so you're collecting those now. Yeah, I have like a little um, a little wall on my like nice. uh, on my wall. I have a little board uh, with all my credentials. I've I, you know, I had quite a few in my college days, but it's been a while since I've uh, been a credentialed member uh, post college. Well, we got to get you to some games. Absolutely, you need to get over to that Oregon State game this weekend. Uh, all right, why don't you leave it here? Some parting thoughts and your questions. What do you want to talk about? What's on your mind? Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. You want to talk about the Ducks going to Georgia? You want to talk about the Beavers at home in Corvallis on Saturday night? You want to talk about Pac-12 realignment? You steer the conversation. Tom Brady, you tell me. 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, it's an open line Monday, so to speak. Coming up right here on 750 The Game, Peter Sampson in the Pulse. If you're in Portland, leave it here for Peter Sampson. He will deliver. Uh, Blazers uh, going to hold training camp in Santa Barbara this NBA preseason. It'll be interesting to see what they look like. But I want your phone calls on a variety of topics. You steer where this, this segment goes. I don't often do this. 503-417-7575. You get to play producer. You get to ask what's on your mind. Kevin's and Sandy's going to start us. Where does Kevin want to go? Kevin, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just curious. Um, boy, when did Tom Brady start looking like an emaciated Kevin Bacon after an 11-day meth binge? Oh, Holy crud, that guy. I don't know who did that work on his face, but whoo. Um but uh, all seriousness, I think uh, Tom Brady, despite the offensive line, the guy's solid. He's going to come in and get the Bucks ten wins. They'll make the playoffs, and if he works any of that Tom Brady magic, they could easily get to the Super Bowl. Um, hate, love to hate the guy, but um, you cannot count him out. What is he like? Fifty-five now with that new face? I think he could play till he's seventy. All right, thanks. <laughs> love the call. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm not going to be mean to Tom Brady. Because if we start being mean about looks, like, what's a guy with no hair going to do? Like, you know, but he didn't look quite right, okay? Something off about Tom Brady. He's had some work done, okay? He's not the only one, but I uh, I don't I don't know, though, because I felt really good for him and really happy for him when he won the Super Bowl. Like, I was a hater, too. I'm a Joe Montana guy. Like, you know, Tom Brady was never going to be the greatest quarterback of all time in my mind, until he left no doubt. And he did that. You know, he went out and he won at a level that 
nobody else had ever won at. And it was remarkable to see him do it. And guys, um, I was slow to accept Tom Brady. Happy that he that he won the Super Bowl. And now a little bit nervous for his legacy. Like, no, it doesn't change. He goes to the Hall of Fame. He's still got the rings. They're not going to take him away. But wouldn't it have been a bit of better ending? He wins the Super Bowl. He throws the trophy around. You know, remember the shots of him, you know, throwing it on, uh, you know, when they were in Tampa there. And But now the legacy happens to have uh, maybe an alternate ending. I mean, I've always been, I've always liked Tom Brady. I always thought he was kind of funny, kind of cool. And now that he's been in Tampa Bay, he's really let that personality shine. So I, I'm kind of opposite of you. Like, I've always kind of thought he was kind of funny. Um, I don't, I don't think he's going to hurt the legacy at all. I mean, he's, he's the best quarterback of all time. And he's, you know, he's always going to be in contention. Just like that caller said, I think if he, when he plays, the Bucks are going to be good. It will be interesting to see when they do lose a game. The media, like you said, I feel like the media is going to have a little bit of a backlash against him this year, just because he did leave and nobody knows why. I think that will be one of the first times ever. Like a lot of people are on Tom Brady's side. There's going to be some backlash against Tom Brady when they lose and say, "Well, is he really committed?" And I, I want to see. I'm interested to hear how that all that goes with Tom Brady just uh, for this season. I'd like to think that anything that happens from here on out and last year too, after that Super Bowl, is just gravy for for Tom Brady. You know, like that Super Bowl. I think that Falcon Super Bowl. Ever since that that Falcon Super Bowl, we've kind of accepted him as the goat. And I'm just gonna say, like, I don't love the Bucks this year, but I do think the NFC is wide open. So I I do think there's still some potential Tom Brady magic there. Um, and, you know, it seems like he's rested. He's he's ready to go. He's clearly rested. He took those 10 days off. And, yeah, I, I do think there's an opportunity there. All right, so here's the here's the win total on the Buccaneers' season. The over-under is set at 11.5. Tied for the highest clip in the NFL with the Bills and the Packers when they first came out, and they are sitting there. But 87% of the money wagered on that is going under. It's one of the most lopsided stances. One, you know, what, two, how, how many weeks are we from the season here? Uh, two weeks. Two weeks from the season. Two weeks from yesterday, week. yeah. I was going to say one week. Oh, yeah, Thursday. Two weeks from the season, 87% of the money is on the under. It, why, why doesn't the public believe in the Buccaneers? I think a lot of it is because I think the public maybe believes in the Saints a little bit more uh, this season with Jameis Winston back should be healthy and Michael Thomas back on the offensive side. I actually think the Saints are kind of down this year. I don't know why. I, I kind of disagree. I think I would be on the opposite side. I think the Bucks, that division isn't great uh, with the Falcons and the Panthers and the Saints. I think the Bucks kind of own that division. Seems like to me the over would be the play on that. I, I really don't know what the what the deal is with that. Maybe it's just because he retired and came back. I, I really have no idea. Do you guys think we're going to find out where he was for those 10, 11 days? Like, it's going to come out, you know, he... Here's where Brady was. He was in Tijuana. No, he was, you know, he was on a vacation in Paris or he, you know, he went and had a procedure done. Like, do you think there's any chance we go the full NFL season without finding out where did Tom Brady go for those 10, 11 days? The only way we find out is if he was, he actually was on the mass Singer and he was like revealed <laughs> as on that. Like, that's the only way we'll know or else he won't tell Giselle won't tell, you know, they're not going to rat each other out. So I think if he was on the mass Singer, we'd be like, okay, he went to do that. Besides that, no. But don't you think someone saw them like they were somewhere? You know, isn't it a matter of time before someone goes, "Oh, I got a picture of Tom Brady. He was, a, you know, he was at the Eiffel Tower with Giselle." And like, don't you think that's coming out? I mean, maybe, but they got that type of money where you know maybe they just bought an island to stay on yeah. by themselves, right? True. They got, they got the Jody Allen money. Could be or a wig.
Yeah, <laughs> he had a he's wig going on. full costume. That's why he looks so funny because he had a had makeup and a wig on. Uh, here's a hey, here's another thing. Uh, I'm looking at the NFL odds for MVP this season. Let's talk about who's a good bet and who's not. Brady is at eight and a half to one right now. Is he a good bet at no, eight and a half to one? I don't think so. Probably not. Josh Allen at seven to one. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Seven to one, yeah, it's a little high, I feel like, for an MVP, but I, I think Josh Allen's probably he's the favorite, right? Yep. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is at eight to one. I could also see it. I think people are counting out the Chiefs without Tyree Kill, but I could see them having a huge year, a comeback year. Here's a wild one. Justin Herbert at ten to one. Already bet it. You bet it. <laughs> yeah. You're in. Are you betting with your heart or your head? Uh heart. Yeah. That's that's a doubt. A little bit ahead. Right? I expect a huge, huge year out of the Chargers this year. What do the Chargers have to do for Herbert to win the award? They have to win. They have to win the division. They have to win the division, which will probably take 11 wins at least. That division's so good. But yeah. I, I feel like, you know, people are going to want to give Herbert the award. He's he's young. He's new. He's exciting. And the Chargers, I think, in, resemble that as well. So I, I think uh, he's got a good shot this year. Aaron Rodgers also at 10-1. to 1. Better bet Rodgers or Herbert? Herbert, Roger, I think people on. are tired. There's Rogers fatigue. Rogers. Yeah. Rogers. He's got no receivers either. He's got no receivers. But Rogers is still good. I'm not counting them out in this NFL. Joe Burrow, 12 to 1. Better bet than Herbert or no? Mm. I'm not counting out the Bengals yeah. this year. I kind of like that. Here's one. Here's one I like. Russell Wilson, 14 to 1. I mean, if you think the Broncos are going to be good, I think it's a good bet. Yeah. Because that division, like Sean said, that division is so tough. I think whoever wins that division, like Mahomes. Uh, Russell Wilson, even if it's Derek Carr, right, or Justin Herbert, I think any of those guys would have a legitimate chance to like be in an MVP conversation if they win that tough AFC West. That division, you got the Chargers sitting at their win total is ten. You got the Broncos at ten, and then you got the Raiders at eight, eight and a half. Um, I th- I think Wilson or Herbert. That's an interesting conversation there. I, you know what? I think Herbert's got sort of the public sentiment behind him. Russell Wilson's got the experience. See what happens there. All right, Peter Sampson and the Pulse is coming up. Tomorrow we got a great radio show for you. We will set the table for Oregon, Georgia. Chip Towers, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, will be with us. I'm efforting Dan Lanning. Jonathan Smith will be on the show later this week. Also, Verone McKinley will be joining us, former Duck, along with Jaden Grant Beaver. Uh, he is the team captain there at Oregon State. All that this week. we got big guests this week leading into the first games For Oregon and Oregon State, Portland State will be playing at San Jose State. Everybody in action over the weekend, and we will lead you right there. The bald-faced truth, not here for a long time, just a good time. Leave it here as Peter Sampson and the Pulse are coming up next.